Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, very excited to see everybody. Welcome to the Chula Vista City Council meeting. And uh, we're going to have some great public input and a lot of great stuff happening tonight. Um, what I want to do then is first go ahead and ask the Madam Clerk to call the roll call. Councilmember Cardenas? Present. Councilmember Chavez? Present. Councilmember Gonzalez? Here. Deputy Mayor Preciado? Present. And Mayor McCann? If I could have uh, Deputy Mayor Preciado uh, start the Pledge of Allegiance. Please stand if you're able to. Ready, begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yes, and somebody was clapping, and uh, I want to thank you guys very much. Uh, we're going to do a couple uh, presentations and special orders today, but uh, first, um, we have a lot of veterans here uh, who are Purple Heart veterans. Please give them a round of applause. For the first uh, special order, we're going to actually ask the, uh, to do the oath of office. Uh, so those on the agenda, uh, we have several folks for Patricia Alvarez for the Oversight Committee for Measure A, Cultural Arts Commission, Christine Brady, Human Relations Commission, David Diaz, Jeffrey Redondo, Julie Holm, uh, Sustainability Commission, Jeannie Sharkey, and Veterans Advisory Commission, Francia Castro, and Henry Mendez. Um, go ahead and come on down, and I'm going to have uh, Member Gonzalez go ahead and give, bring out the certificates for everybody. And we want to thank the Madam Clerk for being able to swear them in. Henry Martinez. And why don't all you get together and uh, they're get, the city wants to take a picture? Uh, just right there.
just arrived. And actually, uh, David Diaz just arrived. Uh, so Madam Clerk, if we could just quickly go ahead and swear him in, and then uh, we'll give him his certificate as well. Come on in, go ahead, and uh, we know you're busy, so we're just happy you uh, were able to get here, and we're gonna swear you in real quickly. Give a round of applause and uh, congratulations, David. Now we'll new move to the special order uh, for the proclamation uh, proclaiming August at 2023 as Purple Heart Month. And uh, wanted to uh, thank the elementary school district for raising the Purple Heart flag on Monday and all the veterans who came out there and uh, were there to help raise it. And I'm going to have uh, Ms. Cardenas uh, go ahead and provide the proclamation. And the proclamation is, whereas Purple Heart Award was created on August 7th, 1782, as the badge of merit by order of General George Washington, and redesigned to the medal we know today on February 22nd, 1932, and whereas members of our community have been awarded the Purple Heart for being wounded in combat or killed in action while serving in the armed forces, and whereas the Purple Heart Medal represents a price paid while serving to maintain the freedoms and way of life everyone enjoys as our citizens, and whereas the San Diego Chapter 49 of the Military Order of Purple Hearts <clears throat> and its auxiliary have been committed to serving the veterans in our community throughout the years in various ways. And whereas part of the chapter and auxiliary's mission is that we never forget the sacrifices the Purple Heart Medal represents. And whereas Chula Vista was declared a Purple Heart City by Mayor Cheryl Cox on August 7th, 2013. Now, therefore, I, John McCann, 41st Mayor of the City of Chula Vista, do hereby proclaim August 2023 as Purple Heart Month in the City of Chula Vista. I would ask if the um, members would like to come up and uh, would like to say something. Thank you to the city of Chula Vista. Go ahead and um, if I'll have you come over to the mic. Okay. And uh, you want to address the, the mayor and city council. Um, I'm uh, Robert Hernandez. I'm a patriot of the military order of the Purple Heart. I'm a, the chapter commander. And I would like to say thank you to the city of Chula Vista for uh, 
uh, honoring us with this. Um, we definitely have quite a few patriots who live in the city and who are uh, members as our, of our chapter. Um, so I'd like to say thank you for the honor and uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And uh, what we're gonna do is, uh, since this is such a special event, I'm gonna allow the members of the council to come on down and take a picture with you. Uh, so just wait right there as we uh, come on down and uh, we'll take a special picture. Thank you. Thank you, sir. We gotta get her on this. Thank you for your service. Now, how many of you out there would like to have a little fun? <laughs> I definitely think the first row does. Um, and uh, so what we want to do is make sure that we recognize the um, clown uh, week in the city of Chula Vista. And if I could have all the clowns come up in front of the dais here. No, no, just right there. And do you want to be the speaker? So, and we have a proclamation that will be uh, given to you by Member Chavez, who's already got a big smile on her face. And uh, so what we're doing is we're proclaiming August 1st through August 7th, 2023 as National Clown Week. Whereas the tradition of clown can be traced from ancient Egypt to the Greco-Roman world, to the royal gestures of Europe, and finally, Emmett Kelly and Lou Jacobs of America. And whereas the clown gladdens the heart, lightens the spirit, and brings smiles to faces of children and adults alike, and for a few precious moments, reminds us of healing power of humor in our daily lives. And whereas San Diego All-Star Family and Variety Entertainers is a volunteer organization that performs a health-related fundraising events, hospitals, convalescent homes, and parades throughout the county of San Diego. 
whereas San Diego All-Star Family and Variety Entertainers and Clowns of America International have joined together to commemorate Clown Week, originally proclaimed by Richard Nixon, President in 1971, and whereas the men and women <coughs> who have dedicated their lives to the tradition should be recognized for their outstanding and meaningful contributions they make to Chula Vista. Therefore, I, John McCann, 41st Mayor of the City of Chula Vista, do hereby proclaim August 1st through August 7th, 2023 as National Clown Week and call public attention to the charitable activities of San Diego All-Star Families and Variety Entertainers and the wholesome entertainment they provide to our residents. Please give them a round of applause. And go ahead and you can speak. Okay, so um, I would like I, you to I know that this gentleman now. right here is Little Richie. And Little Richie is, was actually famous in Chula Vista. He never, he's re, a little bit retired now, but he was in almost every single Yuletide parade in Chula Vista for years, and everybody knew who he was. I've been also in a lot of parades. This is, okay, everybody, I, say your name. Terry, oh, uh, Terry Sunshine. Dottie Dancer. Banjo Billy. Wower. Little Richie. Chatter Cassie! <laughs> <laughs> Grandma hugs. And we are so happy to receive this award. And we want everyone to know that when people say, don't be like that, like a, of politicians, like a clown. We're all educated people. Our whole purpose is bringing joy to the world. We are not stupid. We are in love the humanity, and we're here to celebrate life and love with all, all of us. That's the, all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Whose phones I got? 
Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> is this your? I'm not. Oh, okay. We got a couple of each one. Ready? Is everybody? We're going to leave. Good evening. We love you. Thank you so much. Everybody. Thank you. And now we're going to move on to the business portion of our agenda. Um, I'd like to remind the public that me, you may address your uh, any matter you have at the city council uh, during the public comments portion of the agenda. Um, and now it will follow the consent calendar. In addition, you may address any item specifically on the agenda for the City Council in consideration during that item. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, go through the consent calendar. Uh, we already have from the public, they've pulled items number 5.4, 5.11, 5 5.12. On the dais, do we have any more items that we would like to pull? Can you repeat okay. the ones that were pulled? I'm sorry. What's that? Can you repeat which ones were pulled? Uh, 5.4, 5.11, 5.12. Thank you. And I would like to actually um, go ahead and just recognize uh, the city manager for a comment on item 5.9. Thank you, Mayor. So I'd like to actually pull 5.9 to have uh, some recommendations to the city council. Okay. Uh, we will go ahead and uh, pull 5.9. Uh, with that, I will make the motion to approve the remainder of the consent calendar. Do, we have a motion and a second. Madam Clerk, please read the text. I'm sorry, Mr. Mayor, I didn't hear the second. Uh, with my member Preciado. Thank you. And for the record, there were e-comments received on uh, item 5.12, which was not pulled. There was one um, e-comment in support and one email that was distributed to the council on the dais and is available to the public as well. Item 5.1 is approval of the minutes dated July 25th, 2023. Item 5.2 is approval of a motion to read only the title and waive the reading of the text of all resolutions and ordinances at this meeting. Item 5.3 is consideration of requests for excused absences. No requests were received for this meeting. Item 5.4 has been pulled. Item 5.5 is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista approving the Fifth Amendment to the agreement between the City and Moffitt and Nickel to provide final design for the Heritage Road Bridge Replacement Project, STM0386. Item 5.6 is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista, approving an agreement with the Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control, accepting grant funds and appropriating funds therefore, four-fifths vote required. Item 5.7 is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista, approving the system's integrated software control system on-site support and task order services agreement between the City and systems integrated. Item 5.8 is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista, approving the First Amendment to the existing consulting excuse me, the existing consulting services agreement between the city and Kleinfelder Construction, Inc. for on-call CIP project management consulting services. Item 5.9 has been pulled. Item 5.10 is resolution of the city council of the city of Chula Vista approving a third amendment to the software license agreement between the city and world advancement of technology for EMS and rescue water. 
Item 5.11 has been pulled and item 5.12 has been pulled. End of consent. Thank you. Please vote. The remainder of the consent cal calendar carries unanimously. We'll now move to item 5.4. And if you could call the uh, member of the public that went ahead and pulled the item, Madam Clerk. Yes, there are two individuals who registered to speak on this item. The first speaker is Alan C., followed by John Acosta. Hello, Mayor and uh, City Council. Been away on vacation, that's why it's been very quiet, I guess. Uh, I do want to talk about 5-4, the cannabis. Unfair to tax any business more than any other business. Unfair to give one business incentive over another one, i.e., you get more tax revenue from that cannabis shop on my next to Target, but how's mom and mom's hairdresser going to compete to get that same business license because you get more tax revenue from that guy? So there's two strikes. The third most important strike is what is it doing in our city? To actually say tax revenue and you're saying you're going to help people and you're actually deteriorating society. Please look at my email. It's a very thorough email. I sent it out to all the news organizations nationwide to all politicians throughout this county, please take a look at it. You'll see in there, as I've been pointing out, that Harborside Park's still closed because the Health and Human Services issue out cannabis cards. You've got not one, but two cannabis shops right at that target. How does it help when you got a Harborside school right behind that Health and Human Services? Please shut down them cannabis schools or cannabis shops, two of them in the same parking lot. And you're getting tax revenue, but are we really helping society? Please stop this. Let's get our people back where we have a society again. Thank you. Good afternoon, Mayor, uh, Andrea, and uh, who are uh, chosen three. Um, as you know, the, uh, cannabis is a big, big business, including for the council member, Karen Cardenas, who she was uh, council member, and, uh, and she was uh, the uh, uh, cannabis uh, company. It was a class of her, hers when she approved when she approved to be a, uh, for the another, uh, another branch, uh, when she shouldn't be approving any business with cabinets. Yeah, I know you got sued, so you know what? I'd like to know how much have the city spent out of my tax money defending her, you know, because she was sued by another cabinet company. So we have, a, I have a right to know how much money have the city of Chula Vista spent May defending her case. Um, it's a cannabis. It's a cannabis. Now, if you don't like to listen to about the business, uh, business that you did with a cannabis. Madam City Attorney, can we have a clarification? I know she doesn't like to listen to about the cannabis, you know, because she was, uh, you know, she approved that. So what I'd like to go, know go how much money has the city of Chilavista invested or spent defending her because she got sued. Continue with your comments as long as it relates to the item, please. 
Thank yes, you. it is. It is a related income. I can say, if you don't like, uh, listen to that, you shouldn't be involved in, the, in crooked business, Andrea. So therefore, are you, gonna, are you planning to reimburse the city of Chula Vista for the money that Chula Vista spent defending you when you, you got sued? Because it, it was a conflict of interest, and you voted to vote to approve the you know, cannabis business when you shouldn't be involved with that. They, they were your clients. They were your clients, and it's in the press. In the press, in the press you know, people that could read it. Then see, they could know more about you. You know, how, how you know. You're not interested in Chula Vista or helping the citizens of Chula Vista. Look at, uh, look at Harborside. Look at uh, everywhere you could go, even, the, uh, even the, in close to the high schools, you could smell marijuana. And uh, I guess every single company, every, every single, uh, single company, every single business that uh, they open up is a business every time. I'm not sure if you get a percentage of what they sell. So what I'd like to know how much money have the city of Chula Vista has in, uh, invested or spent on defending her. Is she, is she planning to reverse the Chula Vista, uh, Chula Vista as the taxpayers? Me, the taxpayers, I pay for your uh, attorney. You know, you can answer any time. You know, I know you, you like to uh, uh, play on the phone while you are listening to us, and you probably you're not listening to us, so I'm not sure what's going through your mind, but I'd like to know how much money or how much money are you planning to reverse? Because it's a business and it's not good for the community, it's not good for the youth, it's not good for anybody. Yeah, yeah, I still have time, I still have time. And I'm just gonna leave it here, so I'm gonna leave it there for about my four or five minutes so can people could see what kind of kind of person that we, uh, we have. One that, uh, one that who selected the last three, hand-picked it and put him in there so she could, you could control it. So therefore, anytime you put something there, they'll approve, to, uh, approve whatever you say. Correct me if I'm wrong. You picked them. That's right, you just picked them. You know, I, you know, I know, you know, you have, you know, you have to do is read a, a little bit about it, and you know about the business that you did with the cannabis companies, and you know the business that you did with Purcell before he came uh, deputy mayor, or before he came elected. Also, um, Karina, you know, she got recruited. She had a good job. She got recruited. Alonso, you picked him, and of course, because you, Jose, he, like he said, he's fun, it's funny, it's your puppet, so every, anything you say, you approve, she approved. So therefore, Andrea, I'd like to know how much money are you planning to reimburse the city of Chula Vista? Anybody's, anybody's home and uh, uh, watching this on, and this on new, and the news, they could see it. They could see it and there's point more. Of, point of order. No, it's Madam, not point of order. We're saying the attorney, same for, No, don't defend uh, uh, Jose. Discuss issues unrelated to the item. It is. It is cannabis and issues. Jose, don't defend her. But this is not a game. It's not a game. It is a serious matter. That's why I'm spending my time here. You, you don't see me eating, uh, eating dinner at home like you, you know. Your misstatements and your inaccuracies. And it is. It is. And so then you go with the press and you talk to the press. Listen to me. Don't interrupt me. Don't interrupt me. Okay? Don't interrupt me, Jose. Jose. Andrea, I need to know how much money are you going to plan to reimburse the city of Chula Vista? It is my time and it's with, with an item, okay? So don't defend her, Jose. I know you, you, you are her puppet and you know you're supposed to defend her, but I need to know how much money are you going to reimburse me from my taxes that I pay, you know? Not only me, but the co-hosts in the city of Chula Vista pay for your attorney. And you pay, you know, I'm not sure if you're getting percentage of every sale, the marijuana sale that they have. 
you know. But I need to know when and how you're going to reimburse the city of Chula Vista. I know you're planning to run for a council member uh, uh, election again. Are you waiting to see who you're going to sue to eliminate them like you did last time? I need to know if you, before you leave, are you going to reimburse the city of Chula Vista for the money we spent in defending you? Remember, the, the city attorney is the city attorney, it's not Andrea's attorney. Okay, so yes, it is a city attorney, not Andrea's attorney. So therefore, start paying back. Your time is up. That concludes public speakers on this item. Member Preciado, do you have a comment about the item? I would like staff to do a full presentation. I would like staff to do a full presentation on the item so that the public can become aware of what the item is about and not this unrelated um, presentation. The, the cannabis industry is uh, a legal industry that is authorized by state law to be here. We have a due diligence to follow our, our bylaws and our ordinances and to pursue an accountability process to see if they are really selling what they're selling, if they're paying the taxes they're paying etc. That is what the purpose of hiring this consultant is about. And uh, I'm hoping that staff can uh, illuminate us on what the item is about so that we can hear actual information about the item before us. Thank you, uh, Mayor and Council Members. I will pass it over to our staff. But I did want to confirm, as you stated, this item is about providing auditing and consulting services to ensure that we're in compliance with the municipal code. So we are in the process and we're requesting the authority to hire a consultant to be able to meet our obligations. Uh, I, Adrian Del Rio, Assistant Director in the Finance Department. Do not have a, a PowerPoint presentation prepared for this item since it was on consent, but I am able to speak a little bit more detail about the item and answer any questions you may have. Um, as, uh, as mentioned already, this is uh, in compliance with our city's municipal code perform compliance audits and examine all cannabis business locations, books, and records to certify that tax remittance has been remitted properly. So this consultant will assist us with revenue collection efforts, provide program oversight, and compliance with this municipal code section. Uh, the finance department is recommending the use of a consultant to provide these services in addition to the services that the finance department is providing. Um, in, in support of these services, we did a, a joint solicitation with the City of La Mesa and the County of Imperial to request their proposal for, this, for these services. Uh, five respondents uh, provided uh, responses to this, uh, this uh, proposal. Um, after a review and evaluation period, we selected the Poon Group uh, to provide these services. And um, the Poon Group is an experienced uh, accounting firm in providing advisory and auditing services and they currently provide uh, these services to other agencies in the region as well as in the state of California. So with, with, that in, with that in mind, the finance department is recommending that we enter into an agreement with the Poon Group um, for, a, for a term of one year with the option to extend for four additional years through the end of fiscal year 2028. That concludes my comments. Do we have any other member who would, has a question? Move approval as presented. We have a move, uh, a motion to approve. Do we have a second? Second. We have a motion and a second. Madam Clerk, please read the heading. 
Item 5.4 is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista approving an agreement between the City and the Poon Group LLC to provide cannabis excise tax and inventory audit and consulting services. Please vote. Item carries unanimously. We will now move to item 5.9. And uh, I will go ahead and uh, give it over to the city manager. Thank you, uh, Mayor, Council Members. So we're requesting the acceptance of the response to a grand jury report related to the port guidelines. But we are requesting the authority to make some modifications, as uh, giving me the authority to work with the mayor to provide some clarification. Finding 15 and finding 23.92. Um, can be misinterpreted um, and could potentially create some roadblocks to allowing our projects to move forward in an efficient manner. So I want to work on clarifying that language that we're not um, asking the port to allow the city council to take action authority over their projects. Um, so I want to make sure that that's clear and that that's not creating some you know unintended consequences with the way it's drafted. So I'd like to get that clarified. So I'd like to be able to work on that language. The other has to do with recommendation 23-90, where we're recommending a three-year term limit. That actually requires further analysis. Again, the majority of the projects that are being worked on by the Tidelands are on the Chula Vista Bayfront, and we've been very fortunate to have a very experienced port commissioner that has actually helped, obviously was a leader in getting the Gaylor project across the finish line. So we'd like to have uh, some time to analyze that further and bring back some recommendations to the city council at, at a future date. Member Preciata? I, I was just going to say that I'm interested in supporting the letter that has been presented, but I would like for it to come back in whole, in its entirety, back to a future meeting so that we can review it together. Um, I, uh, I'm interested in understanding, too, um, and maybe it can be included in the future staff report when the grand jury issues what is our responsibility and how do we initiate our responses? The responses start from the city manager's office, from the city attorney's office, and those kinds of things so that I understand better the process of formulating policy recommendations and reaching agreement or disagreement with the grand jury report uh, and any future report that is made. Yeah. So I'm just hoping that, in, that the item can come back in its entirety at a future meeting when we're ready to submit our response. The challenge with that is we have a deadline that we have to meet, which is August 28th, and we're not going to have a council meeting prior to that. So that's why I'm requesting the ability to be able to make the modification to provide clarification. We can certainly provide the report after it's been submitted for council. Any more questions? Member Gonzalez. Thank you. And just a follow-up question on that point. Well, first of all, thank you for the recommended responses. I think I agree with them. Uh, one and all, especially the fine balancing act, you're striking between with finding 14 and 15, asking for the master plan to be more readable and accessible, and then number 15, asking for the city council to have some ability to, um, if not ratify, at least weigh in on it. On that point, can you follow, can you clarify at all what kind of recommendation you would have? Would it be for uh, in the any changes to master planning documents to come before this dais, but not as an action item? Not as an action item, um, and certainly not in a, in a manner where it would prevent projects from moving forward, which could create some additional delays. That could be at a disadvantage to the city as, again, the majority of the projects that are occurring are happening on the Bayfront. 
Agreed. And I, I agree that you're striking the right balance there along with the term limits where I think two might be plenty, but I understand why the stability might, yeah. you might prefer three term limits. Um, so, I, so I look for, I, I for one um, wholeheartedly recommend that you be given the authority to move forward with the response. Member Preciado. So, um, again, uh, I realize that it's been tradition to have very few meetings in August, apparently very few meetings in July, very few meetings in June. And so in the future, I'm just hoping that we can schedule more meetings every month so that we have an opportunity to um, discuss business and not be pressed by timelines. At, at, that, at this point, um, I'm, I'm not gonna move it forward, but it, I'm happy to support whoever does. I will go ahead and um, move item 5.9 forward uh, and with the resolution as amended per the city manager to authorize the mayor to work with the city manager and city attorney to clarify, revitalize, revise and finalize the response letter based on any additional pertin pertinent information received to advance the filing deadline, in advance of the filing deadline. So moved, do we have a second? I'll second with a small caveat, if I may, Mr. Mayor. Yes. That we make sure that the council immediately be given a copy of said document. I would include that. So we have a motion and a second. And for the record, there was one e-comment that was received on this item expressing a neutral position. This is item 5.9, resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista, accepting the 2022-2023 uh, San Diego County Grand Jury Report on governance of San Diego Bay and its title lands and regions and authorizing the mayor to sign the response on behalf of the mayor and city council. Please vote. Item carries unanimously. We'll now move on to item 5.11. Madam Clerk, if you could uh, call to the dais or the uh, speaker that pulled this item. We have two speakers on this item. The first speaker is Alan C., followed by Delia Dominguez Cervantes. Hello, thank you, Council Jose. I think every item on here should be at least addressed like we did that one to give the public awareness of what each item is. Okay, 511, thank you, Carolina. When you was at uh, Sandag, you pointed out the 125 toll fighting to get it removed. Thank you also, John, you mentioned that during the campaign along with Mayor Salas, to let's expedite, get that 125 pulled. A little bit, bit of history on that. Caltrans themselves said, what would that do to the behavior of people if we open up the freeways to allow Freedom of movement, isn't that the point? And yet, here we have Caltrans footing for the climate and fighting against the people, the mileage tax and everything else. So I ask, before you spend $300,000 for a silly report, not one dime to shovels, $300,000 for environmental document, who's getting that money? And yet, we're still got 125 that nobody takes and 805 is back to a traffic causing more climate issues more accidents, and now we got a, the emergency lane is now a bus lane? That's Caltrans for you. So please start fighting and keep the battle up to remove the toll 125, not only for the working class people, but also freedom movement, as I mentioned before, because we don't need to be a LA parking lot. Thank you so much. 
The next speaker on this item is Delia Dominguez Cervantes. Good evening. And thank you, Deputy Mayor. Really appreciate the previous uh, subject where you asked for some clarity to provide the public some understanding of what you're really talking about. These titles are not as clear, and even if you pull down the documents, it's more whereas's. That doesn't provide the clarity and the depth of what we need to be seen here. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Mayor, also for wanting to get rid of that toll road price. You, I remember you here talking about it as well. On that note, before the 125 was open, I used to have to, I used to drive to Escondido and Oceanside to catch the 805. You know how many people are coming out of the H Street or L Street? It takes forever, almost 30 minutes in the morning when there's traffic just to get to the 805. Now you've got to add at least 45 minutes to an hour to get to Escondido or Oceanside if there's no hiccups on the freeway. That was two hours on the road, minimum, if I had a good day going out. And then again, coming back. So when the 125 came in, I was pretty excited. Yay, cut about 30 minutes on my way out and 30 minutes on my way back in. But it gets pricey. And then I was spending about $800 a month combined, that with the gasoline, to take the toll road. I thought, well, I guess it's time to retire. $800 more? I don't have to spend that time on the road away from my family. My grandkids I've helped raise. Away from my family, my mother, just life in general. I had to cut down on buying this, the suits, yay. Didn't have to buy those. So you save money, but not everybody can afford to do that. So that 125 is important, but you've got to help us get that toll road off anybody's peripheral vision even. And it goes along with the other things that we've been fighting against. Call it what you may, road user tax, mileage tax, or then getting all the signatures in front of all the stores and Target to get us to sign up for the uh, Fix a Pothole uh, initiative. It all comes down that you have to do your duty. You were elected to protect us from this taxation that is taking people down a dark hole. People have families. I, my husband and I can afford to have helped raise my grandkids. A lot of people can't do that. They have to work. And you know what goes first, the nutritious food, the having the children go to participate to any extracurricular activities from little girls, little boys that want to play soccer, uh, ballerinas, just any kind of extracurricular music. You know most of them can't afford to put their children in music programs. How many kids, when, you, when they're small, you know it, because we were all there. You saw little drums or whatever, yay, you know, you go and you start playing around with it. And, and as a parent, you think, hey, maybe they'll want to go into music. When they get older, I'll get them into music. Can't afford it. You know, you, all, these ta all these taxes, all these toll roads, all the just draining our pocketbooks takes away of that vision that a parent has of their child being, you know, just more productive and, and having a fuller life. Learning, how many kids do you think are out there that would have been great playing a guitar or piano or something had they had the opportunity? And maybe you did or maybe you didn't. But you know people that did. 
you know, you make good money, you worked hard, you got your education to become an acting city attorney, you know, the city manager, we know she's got some, uh, a, a lot of education behind her. You can afford that, but not all people can. And even when you have two families working, they can't. They've got taxes, and then the county taxes they had got of us with our properties. If you could just just kind of separate yourself from when you were walking those precincts and talking to people and telling them that you wanted to represent us. If you could remember that and act on it, you know, we wouldn't be here complaining all the time. Thank you. That concludes, uh, the, that concludes the speakers on this item. Member Preciado. I just wanted to point out that we already have a road tax in Chula Vista because people who use the 125 are paying the double tax. Um, you pay your gas tax and you're paying that tax. But I, I rose to speak again because I, I want to make sure the public is aware of what the actual item that is before us. The actual item before us is associated with the planning process for access points to the 125 and if we all work very hard to advocate for the elimination of the toll. It very likely future Chula Vistans will try to access the 125. Um, and so I'm interested in hearing a brief presentation about the item, how it's part of our planning process. Maybe even it's 10 or 15 years out to make these connectors. But I think it's critical the public is aware what the item is about. Thank you. Member Gonzalez. Thank you, and as, as much as part of me sympathizes with the public sentiment that the, unfortunately these, this $300,000 amount is going to soft costs for planning documents and environmental documents, we don't have the luxury up here of changing the state process for a local development. Um, so with that point, although there might be some agreement that it would be nice, maybe even nice not to be the lead agency as a city, um, in the EIR, uh, that being noted, we are, we have to be, and so it's a necessity that we're going to move forward with this, and I think $300,000 is a substantial amount, but it's well within the what NEPA documents cost these days is my understanding. I'm not sure if there's going to be a staff report, if that was the request by the Deputy Mayor, or if we'll be moving forward with this item. Thank you very much. Yes. I'm going to go ahead and uh, make some comments, and then we'll... Uh, Put it over the to staff um, uh, as you know uh, the 125 was originally built a long long time ago to support the eastern communities uh, it cost a billion dollars uh, because of different financial issues and the lack of usership uh, the company uh, essentially that was formed uh, for the 125 went bankrupt. Uh, that then bankruptcy sold the road, toll road, to Sandag for $350 million. And uh, just to clarify, I appreciate uh, my colleague Preciado, uh, but it isn't double taxation, it's triple taxation because you pay the gas tax, you pay then a sales tax called Transnet, and you pay the toll fee. Uh, we are the only city in the entire county that actually has the toll road. Now there's a little segment in San Diego and 
I'll have some of the people uh, argue with me all that time, but the 90% of the users uh, that use the 125 are in Chula Vista, and it mainly affects Chula Vista. If it was a free road, um, we would have less people going to the 805 and having that be impacted. And if less people would be impacted in the 805, we'd actually have more people that use the 5 actually potentially go to the 805. So you're having two of our freeways, the 5 and the 805, severely impacted uh, because the 125 is a toll road. And it is in a substantial cost to the city because instead of driving on the freeways, they're actually driving on the city roads. And then the city has to pay, pay to maintain them more and the cost of maintaining them increases tremendously. Uh, I was very fortunate uh, to be able to work to first decrease the uh, toll rates uh, and originally, you know, you always have the price points where if you went to McDonald's and your Big Mac was $20 to buy a Big Mac, you'd probably not want to buy a Big Mac. But if you lowered the Big Mac to a dollar, you'd have a lot of people go ahead and purchase them. So we were able to put in a better price point uh, and when we were able to lower the prices of the toll road, it went, substantially increased the number of used, people who used it. Uh, and which, again, you want to make sure that you're optimizing the usage of the 125 so that will decrease pressure on our local roads and the other main freeways. The second thing is, is that when I was able to get look at it, um, when the 300, Sandag bought the toll road for $350 million, it purchased them with essentially some very high interest bonds. And we're not talking just about 8% or 10%, we're talking 15, 16% interest rates. These were junk bonds. And the idea that you were only paying enough to sustain those bonds, and after 40 years you would have a balloon payment of $100 million. We weren't seeing any relief in sight that we would be able to pay off the bonds and have a freeway. Essentially, we were able to work with Sandag to be able to refinance those bonds and be able to get them into a regular rate. Luckily, we were able to refinance those during the interest rates were at uh, historic lows. Uh, then I need to give credit to Mayor Salas uh, because she helped work on this to be able to actually get a time when we could pay off the 125 uh, approximately 10 years from now. Uh, because what would happen is not only did we refinance, so we had a lower uh, interest rate for the bonds, but also some of the tolls were, guess what, not being used for the 125. They were being used for other projects throughout the county by Sandag. So we made sure that Sandag was only going to be using the money and the revenue from the toll road to go specifically to pay off and support and maintain the 125. So it's been a long road. Uh, we still want to make sure that we support this item, but, but the 125 
again, has been a very big challenge and we need to make sure that we're keeping SANDAG accountable uh, because we need to make sure that we can pay off those bonds in a timely manner uh, and be able to actually have what it essentially is supposed to be is become a freeway. Uh, with that, oh, we have uh, Member Chavez. I just, uh, talking about the 125, and of course that's something somewhat of a passion of mine as well. I just want to call out one of my constituents, Pedro Orso Delgado, that I've known since probably 1997. <laughs> he yeah, used to be the deputy uh, district director and district director from 1997 to 2009. And his brother, did Mario Orso stay in your place? Uh, well, somewhere in Caltrans, you, you'll explain it better than I, but he's the guru and he can tell us exactly what to expect from the 125. <laughs> um, this was uh, not part of the staff presentation. I mean, uh, I think Did you put I in a speaker's maybe, uh, slip? I have not, Mayor. I think I maybe after the okay. presentation, if needed. Well, let's um, actually, you know what? Let's go ahead and hear from you and right hear now. From, yeah. Thank you very much for calling me out, Councilmember. <laughs> I've heard from you for, since I can remember on this topic, and I just thought we make good use of you and our other uh, uh, Caltrans uh, director that's here present, um, Mr. Robles. Thank you for being here. Mayor, uh, if I may, and I don't want to steal uh, Laura's and Bill's um, thunder. But this has to do more with access to the 125 from a future development. The development is Home Fed Corporation, Otay Ranch. And I am working with Otay Ranch development um, as a uh, consultant for them, assisting them in coordinating with Caltrans and you and as well as the SANDAC. So my job is to try to help facilitate getting this um, issue move forward. And, you know, maybe I should let Bill and Laura um, continue. Thank you for your comments. Thank uh, you. We will now move it over to staff. Thanks, Pedro. And thank you, Council and uh, Mayor. So, um, yeah, this, so the, the 125, this item is all about um, the new interchange at um, Main Street and Otay Valley Road, right? So that's a future interchange uh, that we were, we've started the development of. Um, the project initiation document uh, for the project, so the project's developed in phases. Project initiation document initially that goes through looking at alignments and stuff like that. That was completed in November of last year, approved by this council. And at that time, we actually approved a cooperative agreement to, to engage with Caltrans as well, and us being the lead on the sequel part of the uh, project. Um, what we didn't have was that they had to be the lead on NEPA, and that's the federal uh, environmental document. Uh, the reason we want to do a NEPA is in case there's federal funds available to help fund the project when it comes to construction, you have to have a NEPA document as well as a CEQA document, which is the California document. Doing them both concurrently is much more efficient than doing them separately. So um, that's why the, this cooperative agreement's coming back to you now uh, with the $300,000 to Caltrans for them to do their lead for NEPA. Um, and basically what it, this phase is called the, it's after the project initiation document, which we completed in November. This is the project report and environmental document phase. So this is where we look at all the environmental, we look at the different uh, alternatives that were looked at in the PID document in terms of the interchange design itself. 
uh, and at the end of this phase of development for a project, uh, we would be ready to hopefully start the design phase of the actual interchange, and then construction comes after that. So this is typical for Caltrans types projects, which Pedro's very familiar of, <laughs> and me too, since I worked there for 30 years as well. But it's uh, the second big step in, in moving towards getting the interchange um, actually built and constructed. Uh, it's, it's the last two that was looked at when the overall planning of 125 was originally looked at. These uh, interchanges were anticipated, but they weren't funded. They knew that the funding and, and development would come later. Um, so yeah, so this, so this item today is the cooperative agreement between us and Caltrans to continue with this phase and for us to be the lead in the sequel, which is actually a benefit. If we weren't the lead and taking over the lead responsibility here, we'd actually have to compensate Caltrans to be the lead. So we would be paying them more than the 300,000. So it's actually a benefit for us to be the lead. It also puts us a little bit more in control as we move forward with the analysis and the, and the project report. Um, so I'll stop there rather than getting into more and uh, see if there's any questions. Thank you very much. Uh, seeing none, uh, Bill, thank you for your presentation. Pedro, I really appreciate you. Uh, you're a great person. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and make the motion to approve 511. Do I have a second? Second. We have a motion and a second by Member Gonzalez. Madam Clerk, please read the text. Item 5.11 is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista approving a cooperative agreement with Caltrans to develop the project report and environmental documents for CIP STM 0409, SR 125 and Main Street slash Otay Valley Road interchanges and appropriating funds from the available balance of the transportation diffs fund to CIP STM 0409. Four fifths vote required. Please vote. Item carries unanimously. We will now move on to item 512. If you could please call up the speaker that pulled this item. We have four speakers on this item. The first speaker is Alan C., followed by John Acosta, followed by Delia Dominguez-Cervantes. Hello again. I mentioned on my email, please take a look at it again, because I actually boasted about tiny homes down by Palomar. Phenomenal. I ask again. You said it's a 90-day window. Turn their life around, wrap around services. Hopefully it's not wraparound service like that dreaded HSA down by uh, Harborside. I also asked before about when you do the 90-day limit, please, at the 60-day limit, rather than unions clean up the compound, have that homeless guy sweep the compound. It gives a sense of self-worth and gets them out of that cycle when they start seeing that they can do something, a little pride, get some work in. So please, at the 60-day mark, that person living in that tiny home, We'll have a job, be it cleaning the compound, work as a dishwasher, something, something, anything to give a sense of self-worth, a sense of pride, to actually where they can feel like they can actually accomplish something like that forklift driver who got certified. Remember that guy? And he got certified? He had some pride. Remember that homeless guy? I don't know if he's here. Bingo, right there. And he's got some pride. You have some pride, sir, because of what he did. Let's do the same for these people in that tiny homes. Don't just put them in there and say, okay, you got wraparound services, but they don't have a job. When you have a job, you have a sense of self-worth to actually accomplish something. That Palomar Hotel I saw in the news, 2025, there's people living in there now. So why are we going to spend more tax money to convert that hotel to govern housing when people are already living there? 
Not a dime a hotel that's going to take the 2025 to get operation. Please, you went to that seminar with eight other mayors, I guess, at that country club. Country club funded by nonprofits. How much money do they spend on that stupid country club with our tax money going to that stupid nonprofit? It should have been helping the homeless. Isn't that a sad situation? Now I call out and I ask this mayor, I ask the city council, and when you go to the sand, I call out. San Diego shut down a 550 bed shelter, Golden Hall. That was 550 beds. They shut it down, why? To give the rich developers just like we did on K and 3rd and kill that neighborhood. So I ask you again, call out San Diego, reopen Golden Hall, and when they do their camping ordinance only around government buildings, they only got the camping ordinance around government schools, government MTS, Yet they forgot Imperial Avenue, all the poor neighborhood. I came home back from vacation, not one, not two, but four overpasses right downtown next to Imperial Avenue, homeless tents going right across the freeway. What's the message? One of them, you call it mental illness, I call it drug abuse, but what's one of the guys went off his rocker, threw a brick down in the river, into the freeway down floor? It has happened before. So if you can do your no camping ordinance, yes, you can't control San Diego, but you can say, hey, you shut down Golden Hall, now you're putting the homeless in my neighborhood, making us spend for it. So when you do no camping ordinance here, it should be everywhere, not just government parks, government schools, but every neighborhood, especially the lower income neighborhoods. They already have all the tents down there. Let's take care of everybody in the city, please. And the most important by doing that, call it what it is, it's not mental illness, it's drug abuse. If you take the hard charge and call it what it is, then you can actually help these people. Shut down that damn Health and Human Services Center because your Harborside School's in jeopardy and that Harborside Park, do not open it. Do not put your stupid affordable housing in. Let's fix that park because the neighborhood around there, yes, I hear the people there. They live in apartments, track housing apartments. They have no yard. So yes, they want Harborside open, but it cannot open until you fix that HSA and get rid of it. This is how we're gonna help the homeless. Open day birthing like they had at Golden Hall I served 20 years in the Navy. You know what I lived in? You know too, Mayor. We lived in open day birthing. The idea of open day birthing is they can be monitored 24 hours a day by the nurses instead of locking them up in the hotel, no monitoring. How are you going to feel when you put them in this hotel and they shoot up and die? You're not helping them. You do the open day birthing like we're doing with the tiny homes, that's a good start. But are they monitored 24 hours? They have to come out and take a shower, but are they monitored 24 hours? I ask that question because as you invest more money into that tiny homes, where is our return? I'm not talking about the, the housing, affordable housing group. I'm talking about your return, us taxpayers, our community, and the people living in there. What's their return investment to get their quality of life better? That's what we got to fight for. Please look at what we're doing and please call out that damn San Diego City, reopen Golden Hall because they had a 550 bed shelter open bay birthing, they could have done something, but they had no rules down there. Thank you, Mayor and City Council, we have rules tiny homes, let's make that happen. Not to the hotel, but everywhere you set up a housing where you got open bay birthing, that's the best way, it should be temporary. Thank you so much. Mr. Uh, we still have public comments, Member Preciata. Yes, I'm aware, Mr. Mayor, point of order, I'm hoping that in the future we can start with the staff presentations and they may and may help guide public comments towards the actual item on the agenda. So I'm hoping you might consider that at future items or future meetings. I will analyze that. Usually the consent calendar um, is specifically 
uh, an item that will be approved without much debate and many times staff may not be prepared to do a um, presentation. Uh, that's why it's on the consent calendar and being able to hear from the public to see what their concerns are will then allow the staff to be able to talk about the item. Um, so if there's a specific item, instead of having a generalized um, uh, presentation, but I appreciate those comments. Um, and then I'm gonna go ahead and give it back to um, Member Royal. If I could uh, just respectfully ask that you uh, stick, uh, stick to the item uh, on at hand. Thank you, sir. Oh, but I am. Um, the homeless, uh, as you all know, District 2 and District 4 are the worst ones in Chula Vista. It's been the worst one for a long, long, long time. And one, one of the things I keep insisting on you two representatives, you know, although you don't, do, you don't because you don't walk your district. You don't talk to your district. You don't go over there and see what, uh, see what the needs are. There's a lot of homeless, there's a lot of crime with uh, homeless and with residents. The Harborside uh, uh, residents that live there, they came over, uh, they, uh, they tried to get a hold of you, Andrea, and you rather go into their social events, you know, photoshops and stuff like that, but you don't go over there. You need to go over there and talk to them. One of the things that you are sure it looks really good on paper, or the money you're spending, because they you know, expire on June, uh, expire on June tw uh, 30th, uh, 2023, uh, and you're about to get more money, but what are the results? How many people did you help? How many people did you uh, take them out of the uh, uh, homeless? I'm not sure you're getting, I mean, tiny homes, but what happens after them and them? They give them responsibilities. Nothing's free. Make them work for it. They can give them a tiny home, but make them responsible. Give them a job. Don't try to get uh, build homes without helping the other people. You're building too much and you're not getting results. How, uh, I'd like to know how, what's the average cost of those people that you have uh, uh, helped? How many people actually came up in a homeless situation? They went to the tiny homes, but how many people in the, in the help? I know one gentleman here, you know, he came out of the situation, but how many people have you actually helped from the homeless situation? How many people did you get given jobs? How many give you making stable homes? A tiny home is not a stable home. A tiny home is just temporary, but then again, if you have somebody cleaning for them, you give somebody feeding them, what are the responsibilities to keep the, uh, keep the, uh, keep the benefits? You have to give them responsibilities. You need to go over there and talk to them. And if you get, uh, go out and some, uh, you send somebody to talk to them, see what they need, they could tell you whatever they want, but you need to go over there. You need to uh, uh, work on your, uh, your district, the area you should represent. Now, you decided you're planning to close the Harborside Park. What are you gonna do with a park right across the uh, uh, library? Are you also gonna close it? What are you gonna do with a harbor, uh, 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 water, uh, waterfront, uh, there's a lot of homeless there? Are you also gonna close it? Because you know, you cannot handle a homeless, you cannot do nothing about it. You need to go over there and do your job. Either if you cannot do your job, get out of there. We need somebody to actually do their job, that actually cares for the Chula Vista. This is true and these are four, are the worst, the worst, and it's getting worse. If you go over there, if you walk around, especially in the parks, you see all the lamps where they cut the, uh, cut the bottom of the, uh, cut the bottom of the pole so they could uh, hardwire the telephone, they charge their phones. Go over there and walk your district. Somebody's gonna get electrocuted and cutting those wires. Why? Because nobody walks. Sending somebody to talk to them is just helping them. Now, you know, one of the things I was talking about, you know, like kennels. Can for our pets. 
bill that cannot be enough for those people that rep uh, the, uh, the corrupted representatives, okay? Because you know, uh, 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 I'm a uh, house person. You're not gonna put a pet there. They would rather put a council member in there than the pets. Okay, so take that and say, go and talk to the uh, to the shelter, go see what the problem is. And don't try to eliminate the, uh, the parks and, and go in to talk to the community. You know, by sending somebody to talk to them and then you sit in, in your desk behind the screen is not solving the problem. Okay, so do your job. If you don't, if you cannot do your job for whatever reason you, you, don't, you don't want or you don't, you're not able to, then resign, get somebody else that could do it. But we need to solve the homeless problem because you know San Diego is kicking them out. They're coming in, and there's more harbors uh, 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 the uh, waterfront. Go over there and check it out. Go over there to you know go over there to uh, the uh, Hilltop Park. Go over there to the library. Go to make your rounds. Go in your neighborhood. Talk to them. Okay. If not, resign. The next speaker is Delia Dominguez Cervantes, followed by Pecu Orville. Good evening again. I appreciate they're going to accept this grant money, and especially hoping that this money doesn't go to so much overhead, if that makes some sense. This morning, I took my mother to get an x-ray took her to go eat, that's her little outing. She goes to doctor's appointment, I take her to the, uh, up, 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 out to eat. We were here on Third Avenue, and there's two homeless men there that looked like they're living there because their shopping cart does not, couldn't possibly carry everything that was around them. It was a bit scary for my mother she would have never been able to walk by there by herself. Children, yes, you're not supposed to let them be out there by themselves, but an older person should be able to walk safely. Somebody, she was afraid. This man was talking gibberish, saying stuff. Mom didn't even want to go into the restaurant in there. So she goes, let's, vamos otro lugar. let's go to another place. Took her to another place. Let's go down the street. Well, down the street, there was another one. So I'm just wondering here what, I don't know, what type of enforcement protocol we have to get them to these uh, tiny homes, but they're supposed to want to be there, number one, I understand. So what are we going to do about these situations where the homeless person does not want the help? What, I think that's one of our questions that we need to really zero in on and get some answers. What do we do for those people that do not want the help? They can't be there. I mean, obviously, we have to help them somehow, but to help them become self-sufficient, not more dependent on just waiting to see when they go and get their, their checks, their money, their whatever it is that there is, because they're obviously getting some kind of nutrition or some way of living, some substance, because they're there, they're alive. But we have a responsibility, yes, to them, but there's only so much we can do for them if they don't want the help. But nonetheless, they shouldn't be there. One, it was blazing hot. That couldn't be, that's inhumane even for them to be in that blazing heat. But 
someone else's choices or lack of options, shouldn't other people shouldn't have to pay for it. I wouldn't have been able to let my mother go there, and I don't think you would have either. And um, the men there were not saying nice things. You don't know what they're going to do next if they're just speaking out loud gibberish stuff. You have no idea what they might be doing next. So I, I appeal to you to look for options that what are we going to do with those individuals that do not want the help? And if you provide us with some answers, then we at least know that you're working on them. Right now, you have options for those that want the help. How about those for, they are the city of San Diego, they're trying to divert them over here, and some of them are getting here. What are those options going to be? That's the responsibility to us, the taxpayers, that pay, your, pay you. Thank you. Thank you. Speaker. Are there any more speakers? The final speaker on this item is Orville Pecu. Good afternoon, uh, Mayor and the team. Thank you for having me. Um, Orville Pecu for the records. So um, I know my colleagues has touched on uh, this very sensitive topic. Um, uh, we can't overemphasize and what are we really doing to tackle the issue? Um, I know the rehabilitation um, could be a, a way forward to have them like, change their lifestyle, able to help the city itself, give them work, let them be employed, earn, not just having taxpayers' money to just live in and causing in some, some cases, like in Houston, to the city. Having a shelter, it's good, but how we covering up a, it's like we're putting a band-aid on the problem. We need to get some, get to the root cause so we can eradicate that sense of homelessness. If we don't look at it from that angle, how are we, making any progress. Taxpayers' money, we work very hard to earn our money. And we elect the representatives to do the best they should to ensure that the citizens are being, are being like taken care of. I, if I go from places to places, and I, homeless is a big issue. It's increasing. It's not decreasing as uh, shelter is being made. It still increases, so we should be able to more look into the root cause so we can have a better city. Thank you. We have one final speaker on this item, Joseph Rasso. Yeah, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I'm, I'm, my name is Joseph Rasso. I won't, certainly won't take five minutes. Uh, I have a business in downtown Chula Vista called Labellas, and I'm a member of the Third Avenue Fiddle Association. And we've been doing a lot of work on trying to figure out what to do with the homeless problem because it is a problem downtown. And for your information, the reason I'm up here, we've discovered that the homeless basically fall into four categories. We have those that are, have drug problems. We have those who have mental problems. We have those who just had bad luck. Guy broke a leg, no insurance, lost his apartment, 
and just having a tough time, and he's temporary. But there is a fourth category we discovered, that people just love living on the rails. We used to call them back in the day hobos. They're happy, living in a park, and I've talked to many of them. I have a buddy of mine who's been a homeless for 15 years. Take him out once in a while on the boat, stuff like that, but he likes living on the rails. So that's that. And another thing, I'm almost done. I have a little thing that I was gonna present at a future presentation at the paragraph. And it says, additionally, I'm greatly encouraged by the steps city council has taken to assist the homeless in our community with the introduction of the homeless, with the homeless bridge shelter on May Street. May I suggest you may have much greater success, chance of success in providing long-term affordable housing for the homeless if you modify the current language of the tenant protection ordinance. This ordinance, as written, forces um, owner, owners to substantially raise rents and making the task of securing long-term residents for our elderly and, our, and homeless in our community. I just want to mention that. So. That concludes the speakers on this item. There was one e-comment in support and one email that was received and distributed to the council. Thank you very much. Uh, first, I want to thank all the speakers on this. As we know, there's a lot of passion and concern about the homeless and unsheltered. Uh, I think the city has done some significant positive steps in being able to go ahead and find solutions. Uh, in 2016, I uh, was proud to help support, put together the uh, homeless outreach team. Uh, they've been significant in helping get people off the streets. Uh, we were able to recently open the bridge shelter um, and I know there were some comments about it, but I want to make sure that everybody understands that they have to go through a process of actually being able to accept help. And the goal is to be able to have them move on to a permanent housing. Uh, and they do have wraparound services, but they are again, have that held accountable um, to making sure that they're making progress because we want to make sure that they get better get off the streets, and then move towards permanent housing and permanent employment. Uh, with that, um, I don't see any more speakers, so I will go ahead and make the motion to approve item 5.12. So move. Second. I'm interested in hearing. Member Preciado. I'm interested in hearing briefly from the staff what this item is actually about. Sure, so Stacy Kurtz, Director of Housing and Homeless Services. The item before you approves two things tonight. The first is just additional funding to a county grant that you heard first back in January about. Our original application for, for was for $2 million. At the time of award, they awarded us less than that amount. This just makes up the difference this evening, and so we're just adding that to the overall pot for phase two of the shelter. Num um, the second thing that's before you is uh, a continuation of our shelter, shelter crisis declaration. That is a, a declaration that enables us to go after grant funding um, and, and expedites and allows us to move quickly if we're doing anything around sheltering or permanent supportive housing. And those are the two items that are on the agenda for this item. Thank you. Member Preciado, you have another comment? Yes, so a couple of things. Pardon me, I forgot to. So a, a perfect example that I hope we never follow is the current um, 
challenge that is being faced in the city of Sacramento where the district attorney's office and the mayor are basically battling to see um, what approach works best in serving the unhoused community. Basically, the city, the district attorney is threatening to make arrests, to criminalize being unhoused, and the mayor is trying to do what we're doing. We are incrementally trying to address the issues and impacts. Uh, I also wanted to take this opportunity to disabuse you from the perception that even though um, you know you may not interact with me, I am very active in my district, in my community. I can assure you the staff gets significant inquiries from me about how to respond and address the city and the areas we're lacking. And, uh, but I am glad that somebody has brought up the issue of the poor gentleman that is impacted and is living on Madrona and, and Third Avenue. And basically this gentleman has to resort to the following to support himself um, he does draw electricity from the street from the streetlight, and both the Third Avenue Village Association or the Downtowns Association, the businesses that are there, and the residents that interact with this experience, um, of course, are impacted. But the challenge for us is to figure out how we as Chula Vistans will respond to these issues. The easiest thing would obviously be call the police department and see if they can just simply remove them and what, banish the gentleman? But in fact, that's not an option. And I think what we need to do is try to figure out how, as more people are be becoming homeless or moving or coming here, that we try to address this responsibly and it, in a manner that brings dignity and, hum and keeps humanity in this process. Yes, some of the things that we have to live with are not desirable, but I don't want to get to the point where we start deciding that our neighbors are not humans or not worthy of our support or worthy of, a, of our understanding. So I just wanted to make that clear. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Okay. Uh, I will go ahead then and uh, make the motion again. I think we had the motion in the second. Uh, so Madam Clerk, if you could please read the heading. Item 5.12a is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista accepting funds from the County of San Diego Capital Emergency Housing Solutions Grant Program, approving an amendment to the agreement with the County of San Diego and appropriating funds therefore for fist vote required. Item 5.12b is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista extending the declaration of a shelter crisis within the meaning of Government Code Section 8698. Please vote. And the item passes uh, five zero unanimously. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a little break. We've uh, obviously just got through the consent calendar and uh, having an exciting evening right now. Uh, but I want to make sure that we can uh, take a break and uh, give some people a little bit rest. And uh, so we will uh, be back here uh, about at 640. Um, and uh, thank you very much.
I'd like to reconvene the City Council meeting. Uh, Madam Clerk, uh, we will move to public comments. And if you can call the first speaker, please. We have 10 speakers under public comments this evening. The first speaker is Joe Rasso, followed by John Acosta, followed by Alan C. Boom. You got it in front of you. Okay, Honorable Mayor and City Council, this is a continuation of my presentation to inform this Chula Vista City Council of, one, the devastating negative side effects that tenant protection ordinance has the homeless, elderly, and Chula Vista rental community, and two, your responsibility as a council member to mitigate any harm brought to, on our community as a result of the of a previous city council's action. For verification of the facts presented, each year have been emailed a copy of this presentation, a copy of the full 15-page report, a copy of the tenant protection ordinance, and a copy of the administrative regulations of the tenant protection ordinance. I'm only permitted three minutes at the council meeting, so let's move along. In the presentation of 725, uh, we pointed out the $5,000 daily fines levied against unsuspecting landlords and or tenants for simple paperwork errors. Below are the clauses which require immediate attention because of the harm they bring to Chula Vista renters. Clause 9.6506E states if a tenant terminates their lease and moves away, quote, owners and tenants shall provide city with information regarding termination of the tenancy that at such time and at such details it shall be required by the city and the attendant administrative regulations, end quote. Additionally, failure to comply with simple paperwork errors results in tenants and or owners subject to $5,000 daily fines with no opportunity to make corrections as shown in the clause below. 9.65080C2 states, quote, civil penalties for violations of this chapter may be assessed at a rate not to exceed $5,000 per violation per day. When a violation occurs, it is not required that a warning or notice of cure must first be given before an administrative citation or civil penalty is issued. End quote. Result, make a mistake, bingo, $5,000 daily fine. I see we're running out of time again, so in my future presentation, I will delve into the administrative regulations of the Tenant Protection Ordinance. You will learn how staff's vain attempt to clean up the poorly worded clauses within the Tenant Protection Ordinance has only made the matter worse. As I have stated many times before, there are those who believe I'm being naive, expecting these presentations will get you to care about the community you represent. Many are of the opinion that council only responds to lawsuits and recall elections. I refuse to go there. I'm hoping you'll realize the harm the tenant protection ordinance brings upon the poorest of our community. Changing your heart is key. If you do not care about the hardship your actions can bring about the people of Tula Vista, in the future, you will only pass an ordinance and yet another ordinance and another ordinance, which will have devastating effect on the most financially vulnerable community. I am determined to convince you to compare about to care about the people you represent. Thank you. God bless you, and I'm 10 seconds under. I'm really concerned about the corruption between all the council members. Yeah, um, since they got elected in the presidential process in December, we have the power. And ever since then, every time they send a good idea or a good project, it gets, uh, it, instead of voting for, with uh, Mayor uh, John McCain, they all vote, vote against him. 
And you know, it's only it's making the Chula Vista worse, and it's sort of, uh, you, your idea is probably to reflect on the mayor, but you actually reflect on you and your district. Every good idea has, 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 that has been presented to you, or you always brought it down, simply because you don't, you don't like the, uh, the uh, John McCain got elected, excuse me, Mayor John McCain got elected, and I want you uh, friends that you after he got, he got defeated here, um, Jose tried to get a job at San Diego State, create a job for, for him, and we all know who, who it is. Now, what my, my question is, you know, to, to Andrea, since you like to, uh, getting rid of eliminating people, uh, Jose is trying to uh, get elected one of her best friends. Uh, are you also going to eliminate every single uh, candidate that is running against her right now, or are you, uh, what are you guys going to do? You know, uh, because if, if you are going to eliminate by suing them, missing waste their time the way you, uh, it was in your case, Alendrea, you know, they're wasting their time and the money. One of the things that is concerned to me that, you know, the waterfront, in the waterfront there in the uh, marina, it was posted for three weeks that water was contaminated to stay out of the water, and nobody, none of you mentioned nothing about it. None of you. And that's why it's very important for you, Preciado, to go over there and walk the marina. You say that you go around your district, you don't walk in walk the district, okay? So the, this morning, it was still there. Stay out of the water. And nobody, nobody, not the president, not you guys can mention nothing about it. So you need to do your job. And when you say about the uh, telephone post on Broadway, I'm talking about the marina, I'm talking about the, the hilltop park where people tap in the telephone pole and the light poles to get electricity. So you need to make your rounds. If you cannot make your rounds, resign. The next speaker is Alan C., followed by Brandon Claypool, followed by Joni Vargas. Hi, as I mentioned earlier, I came back from vacation. I went up to Oregon, saw all my sisters, had a wonderful time up there from a small town. I want to compare a small town of Ashland, Oregon. I'm in Ashland Grizzly. No homeless a very strong police force, and people just loving, knowing each other, taking care of each other. Let me share another small town. I call it right here in Chula Vista, beautiful view. We have communities here. We have small town atmosphere. We don't want to turn it downtown San Diego. As I mentioned, I drove around the state. I went to Yellowstone, Utah, 349 a gallon. You can drive 80 miles per hour on the freeway. A guy rode by me in a hel no helmet. There's so much freedom over there. How many more regulations does California do to our people? Let, our, let us decide. Yes, you can't control a lot of the stuff the state's doing, but you can't control. We have an outstanding police force here. Keep that. Because what's happening here in Chula Vista, let's keep that small town. We don't want the development like South K and 3rd. We don't want that. Or on H and 4th. You imagine yourself, so many units are empty. You're tackling the homeless, actually taking care of these people through the tiny home, that is so phenomenal. Please keep that going and attack San Diego City to take care of the problems. They, they've got the funding, we don't have the funding. We are a small town, we love our bedroom community. The development you're doing the waterfront, how far are you gonna push that? Greed of tax through the cannabis and the big structures down the waterfront, taking away our views, taking away our way of life, your way of life, your great-grandchildren's way of life. Will they be subsidizing all the affordable units on K and 3rd and more units popping up? Or will you fight the state to keep our small town? Because it's so critical. We have such a beautiful view city here. 
I'd love us to maintain it for my great grandchildren. I'm here till I die. I got maybe 20 years, maybe. You may have 40 years, 30, I don't know. But it's for our great grandchildren. And my great grandchildren now, the way you see what's happened in this country, I don't know where they're going to live. Do I send them back to Ashton, Oregon, in that small little bedroom community? Or talent next door where they got burned down, firebombed during the George Floyd riots? But then people have resolved. They're coming back. I went back there and saw my talent marker was still there that I rode a bicycle to to get a soda. A lot of the buildings got burned down up there. It cannot happen here. Maintain our strong police force. Don't turn us to downtown San Diego. Thank you so much. The next speaker is Brandon Claypool, followed by Joni Vargas, followed by Celia uh, Gomez. I'm living proof that homeless people can get off the street. I had absolutely nothing. I took it upon myself to go to the nearest shelter I could find. Um, thank God I stuck with it. I worked hard. I did as much as I could. Um, I don't want to see any more homeless on the street. They got mental illness, so do I, but I did something about it. I pushed myself really hard and I'm no longer on the street. I have housing um, and income, you know. Yeah. That's why I come here, just so people know that there, there is hope. Somebody's gonna help you. Um, I did it, you know. Um, I want homeless people to be put in these places. I don't want them to just be out on the street. Um, shelters do a good job of getting people homes. That's the whole point. Um, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Thank you. The next speaker is Joni Vargas, followed by Celia Gomez, followed by Layla Cater. Hi, my name is Joni Vargas, and I've been a phlebotomist for eight years. Today, I'm here to ask the City Council to adopt our initiative for a $25 minimum wage for healthcare workers. I've had the privilege and the honor of working alongside the heart and soul, the lifeblood of any healthcare system, my colleagues, the healthcare workers. They are the faces that represent the spaces that healthcare organizations occupy. The month of August holds a special significance for me and my family as it marks the completion of my father's honorable service with the United States Navy after 26 years and three months. My dad is not only my hero, my North Star, but he is also a stage four cancer patient. As a healthcare worker, I am not only dedicated to my profession, but also a loved one of a patient who relies on the care provided by healthcare workers. I witness and feel firsthand the challenges healthcare workers face and the importance of supporting those in need. Currently, we are forced to work with insufficient supplies, understaffed and overworked. This not only undermines the efforts of healthcare workers, but also puts our patients at risk. It's a disservice to your loved ones, and it's a disservice to people like my father. Sadly, there is an exodus of healthcare workers, exceptional individuals who offer the best service to people like my father, leaving for better paying and less stressful jobs. When considering the adoption of a $25 minimum wage for healthcare workers, I implore you to think of your own loved ones and how this decision will impact those who provide care for them 
This issue transcends party lines. It's not about adhering to specific, specific characteristics or convictions associated with a particular party. Instead, it is about recognizing the value and the impact that a fair wage has on healthcare workers and the community as a whole. Healthcare workers are more than just workers. We are multidimensional individuals who deserve to be seen beyond our job titles. We refuse to settle for merely existing. We deserve to truly live. To truly live means to have the opportunity for financial stability, personal growth, and a work-life balance that allows us to pursue our own happiness and well-being. It means being able to provide for ourselves and our families without constantly worrying about making ends meet. By recognizing the value we bring to society and adopting a 25 minimum dollar wage for healthcare workers, the City Council has the power to affirm our worth and improve our quality of life. It's a step towards acknowledging the sacrifices we make and the importance of our contributions to the well-being of others. Therefore, I urge you to adopt a $25 minimum wage for healthcare workers in this city. Thank you. The next speaker is Celia Gomez, followed by Leila Cotter, followed by Delia Dominguez Cervantes. Hi, good evening. My name is Celia Gomez, and I've been a medical assistant for six years. I'm here today to also ask the City Council to adopt our initiative for a $25 an hour minimum wage for healthcare workers. I am not just a healthcare worker. I am also a soldier actively serving as a combat medic in the California Army National Guard. During the spring of 2020, my fellow service members and I were deployed to nursing homes across the state of California as they were desperately short-staffed. CNAs, housekeepers, cafeteria workers, all of these people were either too sick or too scared to come into work. So we, the service members, stepped in to augment these long-term care facilities. I thought, I'm trained in combat medicine. This is nothing, right? I could not have been more wrong. My fellow soldiers and I became CNAs, housekeepers, and cafeteria workers. We stayed at bedsides, reassuring someone's mother, grandmother, great aunt, uncle, brother, that it was going to be okay, even though we didn't know that. <laughs> we pushed the activities card around. We were trying to cheer the residents up um, and just provide some kind of bright spot in the never-ending news cycle of coronavirus. We cried as residents. We came to grow fond of tested positive because at that point in time, we didn't know what this would mean for them. And when we left the facility, every single one of us swore we would never work in a skilled nursing facility again. This was the hardest and most emotionally exhausting time of my life. There are amazing humans that have been put on this earth to do what I and my fellow service members could not do longer than six months. There are individuals who get up every morning and come to work to give all of themselves to our mothers, grandmothers, great aunts, uncles, and brothers. They are the bright faces and spirits that bring so much dignity to some of the hardest moments of someone's life. We always sing the praises of doctors and nurses, but there's so many unsung heroes of healthcare that are putting not only in not only physical labor, but emotional labor as well. Unfortunately, these individuals are oftentimes not fairly compensated. I worked alongside individuals who had been there for 10 plus years and oftentimes made less than $20 an hour. It's not a question of skill. I've seen myself firsthand how incredibly difficult these jobs are and how crucial these staff members are to healthcare operations. These individuals deserve a living wage and then some. 
Many cities, such as Inglewood, Los Angeles, and Long Beach, have already made this a reality as we wait for a statewide minimum wage to happen. Because of this, I urge you to adopt a $25 minimum hour uh, healthcare working wage for the individuals in this city. Thank you. The next speaker is Layla Cotter, followed by Delia Dominguez Cervantes, followed by Gina E. Good evening, City Council. My name is Layla Cater, and I am here to echo what the healthcare workers have brought forward today in sharing their stories. Um, I'm also here to uplift them through the perspective of a patient, like everyone in this room, we are all patients. Um, and this healthcare worker crisis is something that we need to address and attempt to prevent. We have over 500,000 healthcare workers in the state right now that are missing from the industry, and we are predicted to lose another 200,000 in the next two years. This is a crisis, and our community here in Chula Vista is not excluded from that crisis. We need to do what we can to protect the patients of our community and ensure that we are retaining and recruiting healthcare workers into this industry so we can continue to protect this community. Thank you so much. The next speaker is Delia Dominguez Cervantes, followed by Gina E, followed by Laura. Good evening again. I'd like to continue the conversation about the homeless concern. Uh, in regards to the homeless that are by Industrial Boulevard also, and we've spoken before, and uh, both Councilwoman Andrea and uh, Mr. Preciado both said, and, and rightfully so, is that we have things that draw homeless to certain areas for specific reasons. Well, building housing there is not going to get rid of the situation of the homeless either, the Health and Human Services Agency is still there. I think, I don't know, maybe have you guys had conversations with the county as regards to the methadone that's issued out of there? It needs to go someplace else. They can still continue with the other services if they're not planning to move on anywhere, but methadone is a big draw. They, they uh, take the methadone, they sell the methadone, and if you don't think I know how they do it, ask my ex-husband. They put it in their mouth, and they turn around, leave, and they put it in a little spit thing, and they sell it. Okay, so they get very creative. So my point being is, let's have some conversations, more conversations, not what, not where it becomes a joint issue. They're the draw to that community. They have to be held accountable to address not just, oh yeah, poo-poo us, no. They need to take a bigger role. Where's Nora Vargas on this? Have you guys reached out to her? Ask her, tell her. She's our representative to help here. There should be a joint effort here to remove the draws, to help assist the homeless issues. That's one thing. The other is these um, wraparound services in different places. Do we have the numbers? Do we have empty beds? Do we have, em why do we have them empty? Who's referring them to them? I think as a community, we would like some kind of more detailed report so, so that it's not a big secret 
as to what is. You know, you guys make announcements and talk on television and media, but it doesn't give it that level of detail that some of us in the community would like. Like, how did you get 100 referrals that day? Why didn't they all stay? What happened? Did, did they not meet certain criteria? Were they referred somewhere else? You know, if we want, if you want our support, you need to tell us what you're doing so that we can be more supportive of what you're doing. But with keeping information from us doesn't help. So, but please, I think, I urge you strongly, please, I'll reach out to Nora. What the heck, what, what happened? This is our community too. Thank you. The next speaker is Gina E, followed by Laura, followed by Christine Brady. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, in 2023, the Chicano Park Battle 2.0 is here in Chula Vista. But this time, it is not initiated by the San Diego City Council and the State of California. It is brought to you by Chula Vista City Council members Andrea Cárdenas, Jose Preciado, Carolina Chavez, and Alonso Gonzalez. And it is not the land under the Coronado Bridge that is being taken away from the residents. Today, it is Harborside Park on Chula Vista's west side, District 4. A brief history. Chicano Park was founded on April 20, 1970, when the Logan Heights community and the Chicano movement activists joined forces to protest, to protest the, the construction of a California Highway Patrol office at the present site of Chicano Park. The community had been promised a park, but the politicians slash government officials said, sorry, no park for you. The California Highway Patrol office was the final insult to a community that had been degraded by the demolition of hundreds of homes to make room for Interstate 5, the Coronado Bridge, and the placement of toxic industries junkyards in the Logan Heights neighborhood. Today, history repeats itself. Chula Vista residents were told that Harborside Park would be upgraded, secured, and reopened. The citizens took part and told the city council exactly what they wanted in their new park. Instead, council member Cardenas decided no park and the remaining council members agreed with her. This weekend, I was at Chicano Park and spoke with residents who were surprised of the council's decision to develop the park into housing. Do the right thing, give the park back to the people, thank you. The other thing that really stings is the fact that the residents in District 4, they're all Latino, I would say most of them are Latino. And what happened in Logan Heights 53 years ago, 
they were done wrong by a mostly Anglo city council. And now they are being done wrong by all these Latinos that are so-called trying to help the community. Thank you and good night. The next speaker is Laura, followed by Christine Brady. Good evening, Mayor, uh, City Council members. I'm here for a point of clarification tonight regarding the uh, Human Relations Commission and the swearing in of David Diaz that happened. Um, I would just like to know when is it right to swear someone in, and when does it become legal therein to have that member vote? Because there was a vote that took place after he was sworn in in someone's office, to my understanding, and in the newspaper. And I'm wondering, what is the protocol with that? There, I, my understanding is that oaths of office should be taken in public in front of the community in which they will serve. This board is seeking, this new board to oversee the police is seeking the power of a subpoena. That's a big power. So I'm concerned about this and the protocol that might be infringed there, um, maybe illegal to do a, a swearing in like that. And he voted before he was sworn in this evening. Just a point of question. I'd like to have an answer for that. Thank you. The final speaker is Christine Brady. Good evening. Um, I'd like to address the issue of arts and culture. I think arts and culture is going to be almost impossible, as it doesn't exist really now on the west side of 805, unless we get some of the low-cost performance venues. There literally does not exist a low-cost performance venue in all of West, West Chula Vista. And I also, as I also mentioned, there also doesn't exist um, any public uh, adequately equipped dance studios. So basically, theater troops and um, cultural groups are, and dance companies do exist, but they're homeless. And they're not being part of the cult culture here in Chula Vista that we, we need. We need for the mental health and for the youth and for the, the society in general. And I have a proposal. I would like to recommend that you buy or rent to buy the building that was Fud Ruckers in Caliche Town restaurant. It's ideally located. It's right there on 3rd Avenue next to the restaurants. Has perfect parking. It's right on Memorial Park. And it would be, you know, a great little theater and you could include a dance studio inside. It's a very important for an arts facility, the location of it. And this is ideally located. And I would ask you to investigate that. Another thing is, um, and a great impediment to arts and culture, is that there's nothing in the, in the budget, really. I mean, they're depending on a small percentage of the ticket sales from the amphitheater 
to provide money for arts and culture here in Chula Vista, which may generate $80,000 a year. I would like to propose that just like when you have a new development of somebody wants to build a house and you charge them a fee of $5,000, which is supposed to be raised to $7,000, that part of that money goes to arts and culture. Right now, about $1,000 goes to libraries, a certain percentage goes to parks and recreation, goes to the fire department, it goes to all the, the public facilities that you think there are going to be needed by the person in this new development. Well, why is there not a small percentage going to arts and culture? I consider it critical to the society and to the, what we call a bienestar well-being of Chula Vista. And so I would like to propose that that become part of the taxation so that you have an income. It's part of the overall budget. And I think I ran out of time. Thanks. Madam Clerk, are there any more speakers, and do we have any e-comments? That concludes the public speakers this evening. There was one email that was received that's been distributed to council and is available to the public. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for everybody's input. We will now move to public hearings, item 7.1. Um, I will go ahead and, um, Madam City Manager, do we have a presentation? Yes, Mayor, thank you. We do have a presentation. Good evening, council members. Uh, my name is Adrian Del Rio, assistant director with the finance department. We're just gonna set this up real quick and get started. All right. So as I said, uh, with me today is Jimmy, Jimmy Vasquez, revenue, Va revenue manager over the revenue and recovery division. We are here to present item 7.1, the assessment of delinquent sewer service charges as liens on parcels and placements on property tax bills. I, want, I did want to mention that this is a continuation from the same item on July 25th. Um, at that time, uh, there was an issue with the public hearing notices letters that went out. Uh, since then, on July 27th, we have corrected and resent those letters and have complied with the Municipal Code's uh, public hearing notice letters, letter requirements. So this presentation will provide uh, background information and an overview of property lien process up to the public hearing and going forward. To start, the city provides sewer services to about 50,000 residential and custom commercial customers. Sewer services are charged to pay for the operation and maintenance of the sewer collection system and sewer treatment. The city has three distinct billing methods for sewer service charges that depend on the customer's location and water service provider. The city's lien process only applies to Sweetwater Authority customers who are billed by the city. Other sewer service customers are billed through either property taxes or the water bill depending on their water service provider. The city municipal code outlines sewer payment obligations, billing cycles, proper noticing, penalties for delinquency, and the lien process. Specifically, the municipal code outlines the lien process which allows delinquent sewer service charges as recorded liens upon affected properties and the placement of, le of these lien charges on the property tax bills for collection. The lien process is the final step to help ensure responsible parties 
meet their payment obligation and payments are received on a more timelier basis, resulting in a reduction of uncollectible losses. Throughout this process, staff has, excuse me, sorry. Throughout this process, staff has identified key stakeholders and reached out for feedback, constructive process building, and review and validation of our process steps and data. A priority of this process has been to try to create a positive and informative customer experience. With that in mind, we believe the overall collection process has improved by providing additional touch points and improved noticing and communication to our customers. We've provided dedicated customer support and payment support. We've written off some uncollectible debt. We've applied and were granted awards for delinquent sewer charges through the state arrearages payment program. We've uh, consulted third party uh, firm to help us with the validation of parcel and accounts. And we've uh, also in improved our translation noticing. And over the next few slides, uh, Jimmy will provide some additional details on the results and timeline of this process. Thank you, good evening. Um, staff has, has aimed to be compliant with the municipal code during the process implementation um, and has updated lien eligible accounts through payment reconciliations on a daily basis. Uh, increased communications, as mentioned, um, resolving escalations and uh, presenting options to our customers have contributed to a reduction in eligible accounts from the process onset through this public hearing. Um, as of this public hearing, staff is submitting 195 sewer accounts valued at $333,000 for council con to, uh, to consider applying liens. Staff has shared with uh, customers information on how to apply for the city's reduced sewer charge program, which this year is budgeted, uh, this coming fiscal year is budgeted to provide approximately $200,000 in sewer bill reductions to over 1,300 uh, approved customers. Our translated notices have informed lien eligible account holders about late fees, about finance charges, and has provided additional instructions as outlined prior, uh, per the city's municipal code. Uh, all customer inquiries have been treated as escalations and have been handled with priority. All have been resolved to date by means of sharing account information, creating payment plans, and answering questions about the lien process. Uh, to point out a few of these bullet points here, uh, currently uh, there are 405 accounts on an active pay uh, payment plan for a value of about $633,000. Uh, to date, since the onset of our um, late noticing uh, to the customers, $877,000 in, in accounts receivable has been paid down. Um, to also highlight some of the accounts that are in the population that we have uh, considered lien eligible, uh, 147 of those accounts had previously received grants uh, worth uh, 207000 and 382 of those accounts previously received write-offs uh, from the city's uh, AR. The lien process timeline, uh, staff built this lien process timeline to track and memorialize key dates in our process. This timeline assisted with noticing requirements leading up to this public hearing and our eventual account submission uh, to the county if approved. Some important dates and information to take into account is if the re uh, resolution is approved by city council, 
uh, today, August 8th, is the final day to pay off delinquent balances or create payment plans uh, before staff submit accounts to the county. Another is uh, payments are being processed during this public hearing. Uh, accounts will be submitted tomorrow, August 9th, for recording to the county treasurer if the resolution is approved. Uh, in closing, I want to thank you uh, and also uh, want to reiterate that staff does recommend the city council to adopt the resolution assessing delinquent sewer service charges as recorded liens upon respective parcels and the placement of those charges on property tax bill for collection by the county treasurer tax collector. Thank you very much. Um, this is a public hearing, so I'm going to go ahead and open the public hearing. Madam Clerk, uh, actually, before I ask for the public input, do we have any questions by the uh, council? This would not be statements, it would just be questions. Okay. Uh, Member Cardenas. Um, is the August 9th uh, date for us to submit to the county treasurer uh, tax collector? Is that set by us or is that just like how how did we come to that date it's set by the county the county it's an okay. august 10th deadline so we're making it by one day okay thank you member chavez thank you for that great presentation very detailed and a lot of my questions were resolved within it um i just want to make sure because we are charging the nature of our outreach, I, I'm wondering um, how was done um, this collection process. If you can detail, if possible, uh, was the outreach done in an accessible manner, bilingual manner, an inclusive way? Can you talk to that before we continue? Yes, I, I can speak to that. So we've, we've had multiple uh, communications with our customers, at least six touch points. Um, so multiple noticings, first notice, a second notice, the actual bill itself, um, and then also the, the final pass due notice, due notice, and then this public hearing notice letters. All of those notices have been provided in, in Spanish and English, and have provided information and any questions regarding this process to, to email or, or call the, the finance department with any of those questions. I appreciate that. Thank you. Member Gonzalez. Thank you. Thank you. A comment and a brief question. Um, it, especially in case you might be bummed that the addresses for the public hearing went out um, incorrectly and it had to be rescheduled, I would almost argue that it is a blessing in disguise in that initially looking at the dates from the public hearing notice to the date of the liens, it seemed uh, aggressive. It, it seemed um, not rushed, but certainly expedited and, and efficient. Um, understandably, there was a ton of time before that when people would have known that they are falling further and further behind. but. From the public's perspective, they might argue that it was certainly a unique time because of COVID and whatnot. So I was just thinking that there, are, there is a, a happy accident in that they were allotted more time. And as a result, a larger percentage of those people that were going to be 
uh, recorded against with a lien are now in a payment plan. And that leads me to the question uh, regarding payment plans, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that it's not really negotiable. It's a percentage that you would be willing to accept um, a payment plan. So my question is two-part. Could you speak at all to what the percentages are that you're asking them to pay on a payment plan? And also, would they still be eligible for a payment plan after a lien is recorded upon their property? Uh, thank you for your question, council member. Uh, payment plans are not uh, strict. They are, we do work on a case-by-case -case basis with uh, each customer. It's not percentage-based. We look at uh, the total um, outstanding amount and try to resolve within a time frame that does work best for the customer. So we are, we, we try to be as flexible as possible uh, with that approach. And to, can your, the second part of your question, do you mind repeating that? Whether, certainly, whether after a lien, if they're not responsive now, don't get on a payment plan now, and a lien is recorded on their property, would a property owner still be eligible for a payment plan? If there are new delinquencies, I, the answer is yes. But if the, that for that particular delinquency or that billing period that becomes delinquent, if they do not comply with the uh, payment plan, in that case, they would not be uh, um, have the option to get on the, uh, the payment plan or continue with the payment plan and we would assess the, uh, the original late fees and things like that. Thank you. Any more questions from on the dais? Seeing none, uh, Madam Clerk, uh, do we have any speakers? Yes, we do have three speakers on this item. The first is John Acosta, followed by Delia Dominguez Cervantes, followed by Alan C. Uh, good afternoon, uh, I have a question for, um, how do you base your cell phone charging? How much, uh, how much to charge on sewage services? Do you use, uh, base your cell phone the uses of uh, usage of water? And the reason I'm asking that is simply because a lot of seniors, a lot of seniors, including myself, um, we have gardening, we, we use a lot of water in our trees and our plants and stuff like that. Are we charged for watering our uh, our, our grass, our plants, simply because it's, it's based on the, how much water we use? Or how do you guys base yourself on, on charge? I mean, say because we use uh, water to garden, garden uh, water our plants, are we being charged for using the sewage, uh, sewage service, which we're not, we're not using? I mean, uh, is there, how do you base yourself on the charging? Is there a meter on the um, train, or how do you guys base yourself on? I'm not sure if you uh, could use my time or freeze my time and then. Um, go ahead and um, uh, let's go ahead and have, ask all your questions and then they'll, they'll answer them and we'll have you stay up if you have any additional questions. Okay. Um, okay, yeah, well, that was a question number one. The other question was, you know, if you, for example, do, um, uh, it's supposed to be a public hearing. In public hearing, as you can see, there's very few people. I'm talking about, you know, go out in the community where they reside and talk to them. Uh, to me, a public hearing is just talking to the public, public, you know, not just the people that are sitting here right now. I'm talking about, you know, having like a town hall meeting, something that I've been trying to get a hold of the, uh, I'm trying to encourage the uh, council members to do one. You know, so if you can answer me that, please, thank you. 
Go ahead and uh, answer I, the question I would right speak now. To the first question, which is uh, how we how we charge for sewer services. So um, it's based on for residential customers, which is what we're talking about here. It would be based on the lowest winter average, and then there's a calculation that's determined uh, to apply the, the total cost for that uh, bi-monthly bill. So you base yourself on their uses of water. Mr. Acosta, go, go ahead and come up to the um, microphone. So uh, you're basing yourself on the, how much water we use, not how much water, water it drains. How, how much water is used during a, uh, the lowest winter average? Right. So you're charging us for the drainage, uh, for the sewage, even if we're not using it. Because we, if we're watering the grass, the plants, or trees, or whatever, it, it's not going to the sewage, but we're being charged for that. That's what you're saying, correct? So we're going to have Bill Valley come up because this is really a calculation that's done by the engineering department, and this is addressed when we bring forward the rates. But we will provide some additional information. So Mr. Bill, Costa, thank thank you very much. Thank you. Bill's going to um, answer that question for you. The, the open up a can of worms. Or? No, uh, it's, no, this isn't about the rate itself, but we'd be happy to provide an overview. Yeah. Go so ahead, the uh, Bill. This, oh, hello. So the the rates based on. It is water-based, so we look at the winter average, which is the winter months where you would have less landscape usage, right? So your water usage at that point, less of uh, less landscape, and then it's further reduced. Uh, that rate's further reduced 10% to account for some landscape water, and the remainder is considered to go down the sewer. Okay. Go ahead and uh, let's, um, next speaker, ma'am. The next speaker is Delia Dominguez Cervantes, followed by Alan C. I think it's terrible that you're gonna put a lien on somebody's home. I understand the responsibility of having to pay your bills, but you're gonna cause someone else to be homeless. You're gonna put a lien on their homes? What does that cause, putting a lien on their homes? Mr. Alonso, you seem to disagree. If you could tell me what that is, I'd like to understand. Um, I'd love to elaborate, but I think it'd be inappropriate. Yeah, let's just... Okay, uh, we'll he's saying no, so I thought maybe he could share. But in any case, putting a lien on somebody's home is what? The, the, the person can do what? Someone's going to come after them, or is it just... Or is it going to stay there until the person dies and the home is sold? If that's one thing, okay, but that's that's fearful for someone. But you, I'm so glad, um, Councilwoman uh, Travis, that you asked the question about the method of outreach. And I've got to tell you, we've got community members that just sending them letters after letters after letters. That doesn't cut it. Where's that human touch? Hey, you know, talk to them. Go visit them. You know, they spend so much time trying to reach out to them, they're not responding. Go talk to them. Maybe they're past. Maybe it's somebody else in the home. That bill could be in somebody else's name. You don't know. You need to go visit that home and speak to someone. Do an outreach to them. There's not that many. It was like under 200 people, right? I think that's what I thought I heard. There's not that many. You know, go, I'll help. You want to volunteer? I'll go knock on their doors. I'm bilingual. I'll go help. Maybe there's other resources out there for them to help them pay for it. Maybe there's just, you know, we can reach out and find out something. People, COVID really hit people really hard. And that money that they had to try and to recover, so many people lost their jobs. 
just just so many things happen, and this is just a terrible time to try and do that to people, trying to coming out of COVID like this. And, and then to put a lien on their property, I just think it has so many repercussions, and people need to be informed, someone go out there and have that human touch. I understand paying your bills, but there has to be another outreach when you put somebody, a lien on somebody's property. And we're trying to keep, get people off the streets I don't know. I think it just has terrible repercussions, and we need to do a little bit more than put a lien on someone's home. The next speaker is Alan C. Yeah, thank you, City Clerk. Last second, you put me in on this. Uh, I've got a story to tell. Uh, please, uh, it, it will co correlate if you heard me out on this. One of the joys when I went to Oregon was I, I drove. I got a traffic ticket of course, and uh, by the Redwoods. 45 mile hour speed limit, I didn't know I was driving 55. But here's how I correlate this problem you're showing on the screen of what I went through. Yeah, so please, yeah, by all means, yeah, I, I, it was my fault, I drove 10 miles or speed limit. You know you have the right to remain sightline yes, on sir. those issues. Uh, but here, here's how I correlate this. So the uh, ticket was $247. I had a choice of traffic school. And then if I took the traffic school, it was another $47. Then once I said, okay, fine, I'll pay the $20. Traffic school is only 20 bucks online. And then after I paid the additional $47 on top of the $227, I was charged not one, but two separate transaction convenience fees. Here's how the correlation ties in. So if we tie this in sewer bill to the property tax collected by the state, will there be additional fees on top of how these people are struggling to make their payments? No, I think they ought to pay their damn bills. But if you put it on a property tax, there will be additional fees because it's collected by the state, I believe, property tax, just like the government screwed me out of my traffic ticket and got me almost three, almost $350 by the time I was done on a 227 ticket. So you're gonna actually increase the bill on there. And as other people pointed out, when you put a lien on property, we're trying to keep people from going homeless, reach out, but hey, you've had five warnings, pay your damn bill, shut off the water. Yeah, that's horrible, that's terrible. Shut off their water, pay your damn bill. Because me as another person paying my bill, I don't want my rates to go up because some people are not paying their share, so who's gonna cover that guy's bill? What's going on? Do they need the health and human resources to take over and destroy our community more? Thank you. That concludes the speakers on this item. There was one e-comment and one email uh, received on the item, both were opposed. Thank you very much. Um, this is a public hearing, uh, and I'm gonna go ahead and close the public hearing. And now we will move to council member comments. Mr. Member Preciado. Uh, the, the only thing that I was hoping, oh. Uh, I think uh, your slide that described the extensive outreach and communication that was undertaken to interact with the public in terms of not only asking them to pay their bill, but creating method, methods to support them in, in paying their bill, including uh, extended payments. And um, you did mention that some, that you were able to collect, not just directly, but there, are, there were extensive community grant programs that supported 
people uh, in paying their utility bills um, during the COVID period and post-COVID period. And so um, the only thing that I'm hoping and seeking that you explain is once the lien is placed on the house, what is the expectation that the, the bill will be collected through the property tax in the December 10th date? Or what, what is the particular way that the, the bill will be collected? Because I don't think we're taking over people's homes or anything. We're just seeking to recover um, what under the state constitution, Prop 218, and Prop 26 were required to do. Yes, yeah, so what would happen is these delinquent charges will be placed on their property tax bill for collection on their December um, uh, bill. And so at that point, that when they make those payments, the, the county would receive that and then be the city. They would, those pay, those uh, delinquent charges would be remitted back to the city. That's my comment, thank you. Member Chavez. Thank you again. I, I, and I'm sorry that we're asking so many questions, but I think that we do have to, although I know we need to collect, I, I, I understand the need, and um, I, I do appreciate you taking the time to answer all our questions and the public's questions as well, because this is something that concerns us beyond, right, um, just, um, charging them for their services. We, we don't want to put more people in difficult situations and forcing them to lose their houses beyond the street. So I appreciate if any answer you have that ourselves or the public have or that we can follow up somehow um, through our city website or through your office in some way to just answer any information that anyone who sees this notice that we can resolve in a timely manner, I would really appreciate it. That's all. Do we have any other comments? I will move forward. If we have a motion. Do we have a second? I'll second. We have a motion and a second. Madam Clerk, please read the heading. Item 7.1 is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista assessing certain delinquent service charges as recorded liens upon their respective parcels of land and placement of delinquent charges on the next regular property tax bill for collection by the county tax, excuse me, by the county treasurer tax collector. Four fifths vote required. Please vote. Item passes unanimously. We'll now move on to item 7-2. Good evening again, City Council. Uh, for the record, my name is Adrian Del Rio, Assistant Director in the Finance Department. With me is uh, Jimmy Vasquez, Revenue Manager over the Revenue and Recovery Division. We are here to present uh, item 7.2, the assessment of delinquent solid waste charges as liens on parcels and placement on property tax bills. We did want to mention that um, this is a continuation of July 25th item uh, where there was um, noticing issues with the public hearing notice letters. Uh, since then, we've resent those public hearing notice letters to all those customers and could comply with the municipal code required public hearing notice requirements. In this presentation, we'll provide background information 
an overview of the property lien process up to the public hearing and going forward. The municipal code provides the authority for the city to provide trash collection services to residents and businesses who benefit from weekly collection and collections of solid waste. Through our franchise agreement, Republic Services provides and bills for these services. Per the municipal code, the solid waste is a mandatory service which shall not be discontinued or suspended. Additionally, the municipal code outlines solid waste payment obligations, billing cycles, proper noticing, penalties for delinquency, and the lien process, and specifically outlines the lien process which allows delinquent solid waste charges to be recorded as liens upon affected properties and placement of these charges on the property tax bill for collection. Uh, as mentioned in the last item, this lien process is the final step to help ensure responsible parties meet their service payment obligations and payments are received on a timely, timely, timely basis resulting in a reduction of uncollectible losses. City staff and Republic Services have worked together in our approach for submitting accounts to the City Council for consideration at this public hearing. Throughout this process, staff has identified key stakeholders and reached out for feedback, constructive process building, and review and validation of our process steps and data. Uh, a priority of this process is to try to create a positive and informative customer experience. With that in mind, we believe the collection process has improved by providing additional touch points, as much as nine touch points, and improved noticing and communications to our customers. We've provided dedicated customer support and payment support. Uh, there's been written, we've written off uncollectible debt, and there's been third-party parcel and account validation, and as well as additional translation of noticing. Over the next few slides, Jimmy will provide additional detail, de details on the results and timeline of this process. Thank you. Good evening. <clears throat> as of this public hearing, staff has submitted 599 solid waste accounts valued at $445,000 for consideration to, uh, of council to apply property liens. Um, staff has aimed to be compliant with the municipal code during our process and has worked with customers who have taken proactive measures to bring their accounts current and resolve delinquencies. Uh, staff believes the options that have been made available to customers along with communication have contributed to a reduction of eligible accounts throughout our lien process up to this public hearing. Uh, staff has built a timeline to track and memorialize key dates and milestones in our process. Uh, the timeline has assisted with noticing requirements leading up to public hearing and an eventual submission of accounts to the county if the uh, resolution is approved. Some, important, uh, some key dates to take into account is that August 8th is the final day to pay off delinquent balances or uh, get on a payment plan. Uh, before city staff uh, submit accounts to the county. Uh, payments are being accepted. Republic Services is on site to accept those payments uh, during public hearing or uh, create payment plans for customers. Um, accounts will be submitted on August 9th uh, for recording with the county treasurer if resolution is approved. For Republic Services, uh, through uh, today's hearing, 98 accounts are currently on an active payment plan for, with a value of $67,000. And since the onset of our process, of our uh, process timeline, $918,000 uh, 
of accounts receivable has been paid down with these efforts. Uh, staff does recommend the City Council to adopt the resolution assessing uh, delinquent solid waste service charges as recorded liens upon those respective parcels and placement of those charges on the property tax bill for collection by the county uh, treasurer and tax collector. Thank you. Thank you very much for your presentation. I'm going to go ahead and open the public hearing and ask for uh, would be questions from the dais, not statements, but uh, questions. Seeing none, Madam Clerk, if you can, how many speakers we have? There are two speakers on this item. The first speaker is Alan C., followed by John Acosta. I brought my lunchbox. Nobody asked if there's an additional fee on the previous thing you just voted on. Is there an additional fee? I ask you again. You're putting a lien on the tax, but if there's an additional fee, you're making it worse. So before you all vote yes on this one, which you already consented to, please research if there's an additional fee, perhaps there's a better way to tackle it. No, we can't shut the water off on garbage. I'm surprised you didn't jump in on that one, Jose, because that's your baby cakes. You know about the water, I know. Uh, but anyways, back to the garbage. My uh, garbage bill went up. I do pay my bills. But was this the edge to put people over for the silly lunchbox that we're supposed to recycle or food waste and put in our fridge that nobody's using? That's already paid off. So why don't we at least get rid of that because nobody's using that? So going back to this, again, please, before you vote on this, if there is an additional fee, if this lien is through the property tax, would they end up paying more for the garbage bill? Perhaps it should be gone through the courts. Cite them. Have it go through the courts. Thank you. Uh, sorry, it's me again. Uh, once, uh, I just have a question. For somebody that's renting, and he or she's behind on the uh, water bill, on the uh, sewage, and the tra trash. Who gets uh, who gets a lien? The uh, renter or the uh, rentee? And uh, whoever's, uh, whoever's renting, because whoever's renting, they have the bills going to them, supposedly. But would that affect the property owner? I mean, if I'm renting to somebody, they don't pay the bills. Am I going to be affected because they're not paying the bills, or I don't know? Thank you. Thank you. Are there any more speakers? That concludes public speakers on this item. There was one e-comment that was received in opposition. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and close the public hearing and then um, leave it open uh, to questions now. Member uh, Cardenas? Yeah, can staff clarify the last question asked by Mr. Acosta? Regarding the fees? Like how it impacts um, homeowners, homeowners okay, versus yes. tenants. So the, the, the question regarding who does this uh, affect, this, these liens are being placed on the property owners, so it impacts the property owners. Um, so there could be instances where tenants are not paying, and ultimately the responsibility lands on the property owner in this case. I just I do want to clarify that along the way of these noticing, 
both the tenant and the owners are all notified throughout every phase of this process, and they're fully aware that the responsibility is the owner. Member Gonzalez. Thank you. A similar question. Is there any changes um, between the payment plan process on this item versus on the water? Um, is, is it also flexible, uh, or is it a percentage in this case? Thank you, Council Member. Uh, similar to the uh, sewer uh, item, in this case, however, Republic Services is, is the uh, franchisee for the city, and they deal directly with the customer on uh, payment plans. Uh, my observation is that they are flexible, um, that I've seen that in some of the cases that have been brought to my attention where they work with, payment with customers on payment plan. Um, up to the lien process, the account is with is serviced by Republic Services. So they have the hands-on, if you will, with the customer, the first touch point. I think that's encouraging to hear. Thank you. And uh, just a follow-up question. Uh, looking forward, is this an annual process? I know there was almost a decade without going through this process. But what do we expect in the future? Yes, uh, we do expect this to be a reoccurring item at a minimum of, one, of, of an annual basis. Member Preciata. I'm just wondering if we can respond to the public regarding the potential in increments to the, to the bill once you place the lien. Is there, are we aware of the actual fees that the county charges for, the, for yes. that administrative process? Yes, that's correct. There, uh, when we issue our public hearing notice letters to our customers, we include there what are going to be the penalties and administrative fees associated with the going through the lien process. Uh, there are up to four uh, uh, fees that can be applied and really have to do with the recording fees, uh, um, the releasing of the lien, and the, the, the demand letters that, that the city has to prepare in order to release liens. So there are administrative um, fees in nature. Thank you very much. Um, do we have any other questions on the dais? I have one. Member Chavez. Again, going back to my comment at, to water, I just can't help thinking about people somehow, you know, falling behind and being unaware. And I know you've reached out multiple times, and we can't detain what is owed, obviously. Um, so once it goes, it's mentioned, uh, to be a, a delinquent fee and it, it's through the county, is there any way they can still set up a program, payment program, or is that it? At, at the point where it gets assessed on the property tax bill, it is, that is going to be the form of collection. That's, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we're going to continue to provide sewer services to these customers and we'll continue to provide options and payment plans and try to work out um, you know, any option that we have available to us uh, in, in future subsequent billings. And again, I appreciate you taking the time to answer all our questions, but it's a, a very sensitive matter for us, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Are there any more questions or comments? 
And I'll move approval again. Um, we have a motion by Member Preciado. Do we have a second? I'll second. Second by Member Chavez. Madam Clerk, please read the heading. Item 7.2 is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista assessing certain delinquent solid waste service charges as recorded liens upon the respective parcels of land and placement of delinquent charges on the next regular property tax bill for collection by the county treasurer tax collector for fiscal required. Please vote. Items carry unanimously. We'll now move on to our action items. And the first item, uh, we'll just go ahead and try to get this done quickly because we know item 8.2 is a, a major item with a lot of speakers. Uh, but if we could do item 8.1 real quick. And city manager, your floor is yours. Thank you. I'm going to hand it over to Tiffany, who's done the bulk of the work on this. You're so good, you have multiple computers. <laughs> I get logged into all the systems here. Uh, so good evening, honorable mayor and council. Um, item 8.1 is consideration of an agreement with Citizen Solutions, doing business as public input for an online public engagement platform. Um, and for everybody's sanity, I'm just gonna call them public input for the rest of the presentation. So in January of this year, the city issued a request for proposals for an online public engagement platform. In this RFP, the city was looking for a software as service public engagement platform that would centralize and encourage public participation in city projects, programs, and initiatives. We also wanted a platform that would provide rich and intuitive tools for learning and collecting input. The platform needed to be flexible, interactive, user-friendly, and capable of supporting multiple public engagement projects simultaneously. We also identified a number of minimum features to be provided, as shown on this slide. The city received a total of 12 responses to the RFP. The proposals were reviewed and evaluated by a multi-departmental selection committee. The proposals were ranked, and the top four respondents were invited to provide a presentation and demonstrate their software to the selection committee. Based on the proposals and the demonstration, staff is recommending awarding the contract to Public Input. Uh, public Input is a software-as-service solution designed to manage every phase of the public engagement process. The software helps government agencies manage equitable engagement with a unified approach blending traditional and virtual engagement tactics in a single integrated platform. As shown on this slide, the public input platform is a multi-channel engagement hub that consolidates all forms of engagement, everything from voicemail hotlines to online surveys. It integrates with our social media and allows text messaging for those who don't have reliable internet access. The next few slides are just gonna show you some of the functionality of the public input platform. So this slide is an example of what our uh, platform could look like. 
Um, starting on the left side of the slide, you see um, some engagement statistics for the platform, uh, a featured project, a comprehensive list of all projects, and a list of all meetings and events. Uh, continuing on the right, you can see the email and text update subscription box along with integrated social media feeds. And one of the, um, one of the tools that we're really excited about with this platform is the equity mapping, mapping tool. This will allow us to overlay project boundaries and participant locations with key environmental and demographic data. This will help us to identify underrepresented or disadvantaged groups early in the engagement process and target them for further engagement. Um, as I mentioned before, it's, it's multi-channel. So this shows you just a few of the options for engaging with the community on a given project. We have offline options, social media integration, uh, virtual and hybrid community meetings, and everything comes with fully automated and customizable moderation to support civil discourse. This slide shows you an example of a uh, project site. Uh, we can use narratives, we can embed images and videos, and then there's lots of interactive tools. Uh, so this one in the middle is one where you can see a project site and people can drop in little notes in specific geographic areas to indicate what area their comment applies to. And then the, um, on the right, you can see some just project timeline um, tools and documents. So again, kind of consolidating all information on projects and programs into a single site. It also has great dynamic reporting um, and mapping. So these are just some more examples. This is a, a line map where maybe um, people could indicate a route that they typically take and they want to see improvements made to. Or um, the bottom right is a map where they can drop in a pin of where they would like to see uh, a project done. Um, and then everything is live. So as people are engaging with the platform, the reports that are embedded in the site itself are reporting that information back out in that continuous loop. And then um, just on the proposed agreement itself, uh, we are proposing an initial term of August 8, 2023 through June 30, 2026, uh, with two optional one-year extensions. Um, you can see here the costing for each year for the use of the platform. Um, we are, the council has previously allocated American Rescue Plan Act funds for the initial term of the contract. And if the optional extensions are exercised, we would identify funds at that time. And then I also want to just clearly state for the record that the agreement does conform with the city's privacy protection and technology transparency policy. So with council's approval of the agreement, we would begin building our customized engagement portal. We would also develop policies and content standards for use of the platform and train staff accordingly. Depending on how quickly we're able to develop those policies and standards and train everybody, the site could be live in a matter of weeks once that work is complete. So with that, um, that's staff's presentation. I'm available to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Madam Clerk, do we have any comments from the public? We do have one speaker on this item, John Acosta. Uh, take a look at the picture that you're posting there, and you can see all the, everybody's young. What I'm, what I'm getting at, you know, a lot of seniors, a lot of seniors don't have internet. 
What are the things that you, you all should focus on prim, uh, first before start uh, getting to the internet web and giving all uh, focus on the internet services? Give free internet in Chula Vista, because there's a lot of low income, fixed income people in Chula Vista. There's a lot of seniors, low income. Uh, low income. So not only that, they don't have uh, they don't have internet, they don't have uh, a lot of them don't have a computer. Most of them have a phone limited in use. So whatever your ideas are great for those people that have internet and those people that are computer savvy. A lot of a lot of people don't use the internet. So it will be really limited to the young generation living uh, ignoring in uh, the senior com community. Yeah, sure, there's some. But not all of them, and like I say, you need to focus on the income, in the income of the, in the population that they are low income. So a lot of them, you know, internet uh, for a senior is very expensive. For a senior, it's very expensive to have a computer is very expensive. So therefore, you need to you need to make sure that those people that you're trying to reach, you know, they have a, the, a way to uh, to get into the web, so get into you know, not only that, once they have the internet, how they're gonna do it? Because you know, like I say. Not every single person in Chilevisa. Chilevisa is a basically all people population. You are sure there's a lot of young, pe uh, young people right now, but there's a lot of senior, with the, you know, if you order these services with internet, for somebody that does not have the internet, it's out. For somebody that cannot afford internet, it's out. For somebody that has a computer, it's out. That's why, a lot of, you know, a lot of, if you go to the library, you see a lot, a lot of people go there, in, in, there because they don't have internet at home. You know, so therefore, you know, before you start spending that much money, how, how was the, uh, the, the cost for the first year, 40,000 40, or something like that? I'm not quite sure, you know. Uh, focus and try to give you free internet in Chula Vista. That will only, not only help the seniors, but, you know, they are low-income families. Give free internet before you start getting, uh, spending that much money on something that very few are not gonna, uh, gonna be, uh, uh, very few are gonna use. Not everybody sits in front of their computer all day checking the, uh, the website. You know, and not only they might, they might use a phone, but they don't have an internet. So therefore, like I said, before you start giving all these services, all these great ideas, all that is focusing to the young. You need to focus on the senior community in the senior community, in the low-income community. Like I say, you know, focusing on that, maybe free, inter free internet throughout Chula Vista, that will help everybody before you start giving them the money. I mean, spending the money. So focus on educating, teaching the seniors how to do the, uh, use the internet, and helping the community in Chula Vista, free internet, and for the people that cannot afford a computer, give them a computer. Because it doesn't make no sense to have all these services that are not able to get into. Save the money, don't waste it. That concludes the speakers on this item and there are no e-comments. Sure, uh, first I have a um, staff member who would like to speak. If I can uh, just respond <laughs> okay. uh, to clarify. So, uh, there's a lot of functionality in this platform, and so I didn't go into everything in detail, but I certainly do appreciate uh, Mr. Acosta's comments about making sure that this is not only engaging with people who have access to the internet. And that's one of the reasons that we're choosing public input is because they have a lot of, for better, lack of a better word, analog options for engagement. So this will allow us to establish project-specific voicemail hotlines. So you can call in to that number 
All you need is a phone to call in and you can provide input on a project. We're gonna have text message based surveys. You don't need internet access to participate. We'll have scannable paper surveys. So this, I absolutely appreciate you bringing that up um, and I just wanted to reinforce that that's what is so great about public input is it gives us both the very um, cutting edge digital engagement tools but also brings in a lot of the engagement tools for people that don't have as much access. So just wanted to clarify that. Thank you very much, I appreciate that. And the word for tonight will be analog. <laughs> um, Member Preciado. I was just interested in understanding better how, the, how this process will be used. Uh, this uh, slide clearly indicates that it, there's broad opportunity and various ways you can provide input. But I'm interested in understanding what projects, will these be development projects? Will this be an ABC license? Um, and how will uh, the, the input be evaluated? Um, as you know, um, it, in the recent period, people have, um, well, have developed the social courage to be able to say almost anything without repercussions. And I'm just trying to understand um, how the information will be used, how it will be processed, Will it just be raw data? Um, and then who's, the, who's using the information? So this is what I'm interested in. Absolutely. Um, so this has the ability, this, this program gives us the ability to engage on all projects and programs that the city is looking at. So it can be everything from city CIPs, like our work at the Eucalyptus Park is a great example of a project where Right, you're doing community engagement, you're getting input on the master plan, and then we want to continue to communicate with the community throughout that construction process. So that's kind of an example of how we would use it for a CIP. We also definitely want to use it for development projects. You know, we consistently get that question, hey, what's going on in the corner of such and such? Right, I saw some construction going on. Hey, I heard an in and out's coming. You know, all of those sorts of things to start to push some of the, the more, um, the projects that are getting more inquiries, and we've got to kind of come up with those policies again. Like I said, a lot of this still needs to be resolved, but we have the ability to push out information on development projects, anything that's going to be considered by planning commission, considered by city council. If we want to, we can use this as a tool to get feedback on those items, and then that could be part of the legislative record. We've got to make those decisions. Uh, Councilman Gonzalez, go ahead. I love it. I love it, Tiffany. I think you know that. And this is the kind of stuff I geek out on, and I absolutely tip my hat to you for this effort, for leading this effort, and all the city staff that settled on this um, as an RFP respondent. It looks like an impressive toolbox that will certainly use, be useful in helping to reach out, inform, educate, and entertain the public. A um, couple quick questions, um, or one big question. I would, I, I would put it this way. Um, my, just from my naive perspective, I would imagine it to be a IT department, set this up, getting, get it running, and project managers keep it updated and specific to your projects. Um, can you elaborate on that? What am I missing? And also, is there the possibility there to add the new communications director into the loop is not only being engaged, but getting this to be um, uh, part of the priority of, of, of the community-facing portion of it. So as passionate as I am about this project, I am also looking forward to handing this off to our new communications <laughs> manager. 
Um, so this will be one of the first tasks, and I will be engaging with her in developing these policies and content standards. Um, anybody that has gone to probably any city website in the last 10 years knows um, how messy that can get if you don't have good gatekeepers and good standards out there. So um, we want to set this up right at the beginning. In terms of impact to IT, it's actually, um, this is fully hosted. So it's not going to have a big impact on our IT department. It really be, will be run by the communications group. Um, and we are looking at maybe doing like a kind of a governance committee that could maybe set some of these policies and provide feedback and make sure, you know, we're not getting too outside of the intent. Great. And then let me just make the comment then um, that don't forget the city council and city council staff on the trainings Absolutely. on how to interrupt interact with this. Thank you guys you have your own set of policies. Awesome. <laughs> Member Cardenas. <laughs> um, I just have a quick question. I know that a part of what is um, captured here are uh, virtual public meetings. Um, what meetings are kind of encompassed in that? So is that like city council meetings? So we, um, and we have engaged with the city clerk's office on this. We're not looking at making any changes to the city council meeting process or our boards and commission meetings. We're really more focused on right now um, our community meetings. So our project specific meetings are kind of more one-off meetings, not any of our standing meetings, though there is the potential to integrate it with all meetings. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And I know we have one additional speaker on this item from the public. Mr. Martinez, come on down. Thank you very much, sir. My name is Henry Martinez. Great platform. I see the engagement hub that you have here. But I do have one question. We do have in the city of Chula Vista the ACT app. I am very a proponent on using that. And I, I advertise for the whole of city of Chula Vista to use it. It works. So why are we trying to spend extra money on a new platform that we already have an existing platform that actually works for the city of Chula Vista? So that's my comment there. Thank you, sir. Analog Alwyn, what is the uh, answer? Uh, so the Actula Vista app does not have the functionality for uh, engagement on priority or on projects. It's really a work order management system. Great answer. Do we have any other uh, questions or comments from the dais? Uh, with that, I will go ahead and move the motion uh, for to approve 8.1. Do I have a second? I have a second from Member Gonzalez. Madam Clerk, please read the heading. Item 8.1 is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista approving a service agreement between the City and Citizen Solutions, Inc. doing business as public input. Please vote. And item carries unanimously. Uh, we'll, uh, before I move on to the next item, I just wanted to make sure our translators, are you guys okay? Okay, I got I made sure we got a pulse check because I know uh, I want to make sure that they uh, get enough rest as well as have the, the breaks they need to go to the restroom. Um, so with that, we're going to now move um, and push forward uh, to item 8-2, and I think the majority of people in the audience are looking forward to speaking on that. So I'm welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here tonight. I 
Thank you, Mayor. So this also is a Tiffany Allen <laughs> project. Uh, she's been doing a lot of work, working with a lot of parties to try to come forward and be responsive to the referral that we received from the City Council. So I will hand this over to Tiffany, our Assistant City Manager. Next item, uh, 8.2 is a report on implementation of a May 9 City Council referral. Um, so on May 9th of this year, the City Council Labor Relations Ad Hoc Subcommittee issued a report on findings and recommendations. The subcommittee made three recommendations in their report. The first was a recommendation to draft a municipal code amendment to address safety conditions and enhancements impacting traffic control workers. The second was a recommendation to develop a labor transparency ordinance similar to other policies in the region. And the last recommendation was to engage in a process to develop a citywide project labor agreement. The city council referred the item to the city manager for consideration, implementation, and negotiation with a report back to the city council within 90 days. This item is responsive to that referral. I do want to note that this item is only a report and a request for feedback the council is not being asked to take any formal action tonight. So the first item we're gonna talk about relates to traffic control worker wage disparities. The recommendation of the subcommittee calls for drafting an ordinance, adding a new chapter to the Chula Vista Municipal Code, establishing a minimum wage for traffic control workers in the city public right of way. The, min the minimum wage is to be set at least equal to the general prevailing wage set by the state for traffic control. Um, the County of San Diego has already adopted a similar ordinance and the City of San Diego adopted their ordinance on this issue uh, just last week. As noted in the staff report, however, the County ordinance is currently under litigation and um, in looking at the enforcement requirements for an ordinance like this, we have found that the City doesn't currently have capacity to enforce this sort of an ordinance in-house. So staff therefore recommends that we continue to uh, work with our stakeholders on ordinance language and pursue an enforcement services agreement with the County of San Diego um, to provide that enforcement um, of the ordinance. Staff recommends deferring adopting an ordinance until the pending litigation is resolved or at least until it's further along in the process, um, but that's just a recommendation from staff. Uh, the next recommendation was to develop an ordinance adding a new chapter to the municipal code uh, this time addressing labor transparency. Staff has initiated stakeholder engagement, including working with our City Development Oversight Committee, uh, representatives of the Building Industry Association, utility providers, Bayona Local 89, Carpenters Local 619, and the Communication Workers of America. Uh, that engagement to date has resulted in the draft ordinance presented for feedback this evening. As drafted, the ordinance would apply only to work that is subject to permitting and inspection by the city. It would be further restricted to projects of 20 or more residential units or non-residential projects of 20,000 square feet or more and utility right-of-way permits. Uh, for clarification, the ordinance would not apply to individual homeowners that might be constructing ADUs or adding onto their homes or doing other small projects of that nature. For those projects that are subject to the ordinance, the permittee would be required to identify all contractors and subcontractors that will perform the inspected work. They would identify the scope of inspected work to be performed, provide their state license or state contractor's license number, category and expiration date, city business license number and expiration date, uh, tax identification numbers, workers' compensation insurance information, 
and then um, identify any previous or pending labor law enforcement actions that that contractor or subcontractor is subject to. And then um, this information will all be collected through our online permitting system to make an efficient process or as efficient as it can be. Um, and it will be tied directly into our regular inspection process. In terms of enforcement, if a city inspector finds that the information has not been reported as required by the ordinance, the inspector will issue a fail on that inspection. Work on that specified scope will have to cease until the information has been properly reported. The inspection will be rescheduled and a reinspection fee will be assessed. Should there be continued violations of the ordinance on the same permit, the ordinance would allow for the issuance of a stop work notice until the violation has been remedied and ultimately continued violations could result in permit revocation. The ordinance also provides an appeal process for anyone subject to enforcement action. Um, so with this one, staff recommends continued stakeholder engagement, requests that the council provide any feedback they may have so far on the draft ordinance. Um, my goal is to bring this back to you for consideration in the next one to two months. Assuming we make that timeline, um, we are proposing an effective date of January 1, 2024, with a six-month safe harbor period and enforcement beginning July 1. And then the final item to be discussed is the project labor agreement referral. This referral includes both negotiating a citywide CIP project labor agreement and an ordinance that would require PLAs for projects constructed by others on city property and for housing projects with significant city funding. For the citywide PLA, staff is recommending it be limited to projects with a construction cost at the time of contract award of $1 million or more. Uh, other key provisions recommended include a no strike or collective, active, or collective action provision uh, requiring wages and benefits per applicable bargaining agreements, uh, but in no case less than those established by prevailing wage law. Staff also recommends a mediation provision and an initial five-year term with one five-year optional extension. Staff is requesting any feedback that the council may have on these recommendations as I continue negotiating, really begin negotiating in earnest on the agreement. Uh, another key area that I'm hoping to get some feedback on is community benefit of the citywide PLA. Um, staff is proposing a 50% local hire goal uh, with a first priority for Chula Vista residents, extending to San Diego County re residents if there are not sufficient Chula Vista residents to meet the goal. Staff is also proposing a 30% disadvantaged worker goal. For people that reside in disadvantaged census tracts, this would include individuals without a high school diploma or GED, um, currently homeless or homeless within the last year, former foster youth, custodial single parents, uh, individuals experiencing protracted unemployment, uh, recipients of government cash or food assistance, individuals who have income at or equal to or equal to or less than federal poverty level and the formerly incarcerated. It would also include veterans uh, living anywhere, so not restricted to a disadvantaged uh, census tract. And then turning to the um, project labor agreement ordinance, staff recommends using the same $1 million threshold for projects constructed by others on city-owned property. Um, we are recommending a higher threshold of $5 million for subsidized housing projects to be subsidized or to be subject to a PLA. And as with the other items, staff is requesting any feedback the council may have on the recommendations made in the staff report. 
we have additional outreach to do on any ordinance that might be adopted and further negotiation with the Building and, Constru and Construction Trades Council and other potential signatory groups. Following that engagement effort and negotiation with the trades, staff will then bring back an ordinance and negotiated PLA for council consideration. And that concludes staff's presentation. I'm available to answer any questions you may have and thank you in advance for your feedback. Thank you very much. Um, we'll go ahead and go to public speakers. And uh, Madam Clerk, if you could call the first speaker, please. We have 15 speakers on this item. The first speaker is Marshall Anderson, followed by Nicole Wright, followed by Henry Martinez. Thank you, Mayor, Council Members. You all have the best podium in the entire region and just want you to know that. Marshall Anderson speaking on behalf of the San Diego County Lodging Association. Uh, while the association remains neutral on tonight's items, we do encourage the city to craft language in a manner that is not overly burdensome on businesses. Certainly don't want to hamper economic development and any sort of job creation here locally. Uh, we do respectfully request that the City Council prioritize an inclusive stakeholder engagement process. We want to be sure that all members of any potentially impacted industries are allotted an opportunity to provide feedback. With that, look forward to working collaboratively with you all and staff, uh, and thank you for your time. And thank you for the compliment on the dice. The next speaker is Nicole Wright, followed by Henry Martinez, followed by Sal Espinosa. Mayor, City Council members, thank you very much for hearing us. My name is Nicole Wright with HomeFed. As a master developer in Chula Vista, we consistently support quality of life and living wages in the city. Tonight, I'm speaking in opposition on the Contractor Transparency Ordinance. Significantly, it's unclear what problem the city is trying to solve with this ordinance. Important parts of the ordinance are already in practice by the business community and tracked and enforced by the state of California. The city, if they unnecessarily insert themselves into this process, will create a greater administrative burden on the city, which results in higher operating costs, higher fees on the building and construction industry. In a housing crisis, which is being acutely experienced in the city and the region, best practices indicate that policymakers like yourselves should be acting to reduce regulatory and administrative barriers to housing, to think strategically about fees and streamline approval and production of housing. The Contractor Transparency Ordinance works opposite of these best practices. It would increase administrative requirements and fees. This will further exacerbate housing affordability, making it harder for young families to afford to live in Chula Vista, making it harder for local business to compete, and making it even harder and more expensive to build housing in a city that desperately needs it. If council feels it is imperative to consider this ordinance, we recommend you defer consideration until after the city of San Diego has been implementing their similar ordinance for a year. This would allow council to assess based on data and feedback if an ordinance like this could actually benefit the residents and the businesses and affordability in Chula Vista. Thank you for your time today. 
The next speaker is Henry Martinez, followed by Sal Espinosa, followed by Francisco Pina. Good evening, Mayor John McCann, City Council membership. I am Henry Martinez. I am one voice of many in District 3. The City of Chula Vista Council may have many mission sets, many roles and responsibilities, but one that should be on your priority list is representing and defending the City of Chula Vista. This effort will require your political skills and listening to constituents. The residents of Chula Vista demand a higher standard of conduct. You all shall serve with honor, integrity, and strive to do the right thing each day. We also know that it's important to occasionally refresh your understanding of the code of conduct, your ethics, and your values. I am a very proud member of this beautiful city named Chula Vista. I would need to ensure that you, our city council members, are doing the right thing for the best interests of our community. Here are three topics that we like for you to always keep in mind. One is your behavior. Two, your ethical values. Your ethical values, I say again, and always remember who you represent. We all, have, we all here are role models for the future leaders of Chula Vista and how our actions appear, affect our reputations and individuals and its institution. We face with an ethical dilemma we often ask ourselves, can we do this or should I do this? Something that may be per perfectly permissible by the rules, but it may still set the wrong example. It still might be the wrong thing to do at the wrong time. This PLA contractor transparency ordinance is a real life scenario you all need to work through together. Make sure you ask yourself a tough question. Should I do this? Or should, I, or should we do this? Who will this ordinance affect? I'll tell you this, the small Chula Vista businesses will be affected. The residents of Chula Vista will be affected. As an individual or as a collective team, you'll find the right answer. Always remember who you represent, sir and city councilman. Finally, remember who you are as a person, who you are as a city council member, and who you are and who you represent. People like you and I continue to serve our beautiful city named Chula Vista. I highly suggest you vote no to the PLA contractor transparent ordinances. This will kill the Chula Vista small business. I say again, this will kill the Chula Vista small businesses, and you, if it passes, a lot of small businesses will leave Chula Vista. We were trying to attract businesses here to Chula Vista, but passing this ordinance will deter that. And the dream that bringing people, having our kids to work for local business in Chula Vista instead of working north of the eight. So I beg for you to make sure you work together and do the right thing. Thank you. The next speaker is Sal Espinosa, followed by Francisco Pina, followed by Christopher Allen. Good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Sal Espinosa. I'm with CWA, the Communications Workers of America. And I'm also a resident of the city of Chula Vista, a beautiful street of Oleander. 
CWA represents approximately 1,800 uh, telecommunications workers here in the city and the county of San Diego. Uh, we represent technicians who build and maintain our critical infrastructure. I have spent the past few years working with our technician members to track the deployment of our telecommunication infrastructure throughout the region, including here in Chula Vista. Through doing this work, we have identified numerous instances of shoddy work being performed and identified contractors who are not local to our area. Knowing who is working in our streets is common sense, uh, good policy for the city of Chula Vista. The city of San Diego already set a positive tone. The city and the county of San Diego has already set a positive tone on contractor transparency last year, and CWA is happy to see Chula Vista is leading on this issue as well. We look forward to working with the city and other stakeholders to elevate Chula Vista's right-of-way permitting standards to the highest level. Thank you for your time. The next speaker is Francisco Pena, followed by Christopher Allen, followed by Jorge Viramontes. Good evening, council members. My name is Francisco Peña, representing over 6,500 union carpenters in the county of San Diego. Chula Vista being the largest city where our carpenters reside. What is the fight today here? The fight is wage theft and transparency. Transparency with developers, contractors, and subcontractors. The city of San Diego has adopted stricter transparency rules for developers using contractors that aren't even licensed and have labor law violations. We're asking the city of Chula Vista to take the lead and adopt this transparency ordinance. Ask yourself why? Why are developers and contractors really opposing the transparency ordinance? Thank you. The next speaker is Christopher Allen, followed by Jorge Viramontes, followed by Ricardo Sanchez. Good evening, board. I have one question to the board. For those people who stand up here and oppose the transparency order, what are their subcontractors doing right now? Especially the subcontractors on the east side of the 125 in East Chula Vista. I have walked those projects those contractors over there have been proven to exploit their workers, not pay their workers correctly, oftentimes paying them cash under the table, robbing public works money that should, taxes that should be going to the sheriff department, the police department, the fire department, city parks, stuff to improve Chula Vista. I urge you to pass this transparency order, or at least push it forward in order to protect the taxpayers of Chula Vista protect the working class, and those, want, and those who want to bring subcontractors into Chula Vista that cheat to make sure their bags are packed and kick them out of Chula Vista. Thank you. The next speaker is Jorge Viramontes, followed by Ricardo Sanchez, followed by Marco Alcantara. Mayor, council members, how are you? Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Jorge Viramontes. I'm a representative here for the Carpenters Union here in San Diego. My day-to-day -day job is I get the opportunity to go out and speak to these workers. These workers that are exploited, getting taken advantage of. If you want to feel and see something humbling, come out with us. 
listen to their stories. <clears throat> the workers exploited, and you know what these workers, I'm, I'm not gonna go with this, the, the workers tell me, hey, they're hoping that they're suffering, that their kids learn from it. They get lessons from it. Time and time over the last couple of years, I have, we have, as an organization, gotten so many violations that we take to these developers and these contractors right here working in this beautiful city of Chula Vista, and it falls on deaf ears. What do they care about the workers? They're making their generational wealth, but the workers, that person that's building those, getting cheated, getting exploited, getting taken advantage of, that's what we're here fighting for. You've heard my colleagues say. So with, with that, I'm 100% on, on this transparency order, and what harm does it do to a developer in transparency vetting, unless they have something to hide? And I'm gonna leave you guys with this. You're thinking it's a union, non-union, it's not. It's about being human. It's about giving that worker, that person, a voice and a chance. That's why we're here. So let's get this passed, thank you. The next speaker, Ricardo Sanchez, and the following speaker, Marco Alcantara, have requested um, interpreters, and we'll ask our interpreters to, to come forward to interpret your comments for you. Hola, muy buenas Hola. noches. Buenas noches. Buenas noches. <laughs> local Mi nombre es Ricardo Sánchez sí. y soy representante de la Unión de Carpinteros Local 619. Local 619, uh, representative of the um, Carpenters, Car Car Carpenters uh, Union. El día de hoy quiero hablar sobre el impacto de los trabajadores que son explotados. Today I would like to talk about the uh, impact in regards to the, the workers that are, gonna, that are ex, uh, being ex, um, like, like exploited or... I'm talking about the, the workers that um, are coming here to the United States in order to give them a better life, better opportunities, and also for them and their families. Hay que ser honestos y al punto. So you have to be honest and, and to write to the point. Trabajadores como yo, hispano, mexicano. Workers like me, Hispanic, Mexican. Es triste saber que familias que son explotadas aquí en la ciudad de Chulavista es la misma historia de mi familia hace 40 años. It is very sad um, to know that families that are being exploited uh, here in the city of Chulavista um, it, it's pretty much repeating the same story of my family back in like 40 years ago. And also, you know, just, just to know that uh, even, even though the, the time passes by or goes by, uh, even, even up currently, uh, everything is pretty much the same, the same practices uh, in regards to construction here in the city of Chula Vista, exploiting uh, workers, like Hispanic workers. 
He tenido la oportunidad de visitar proyectos en Otay Ranch, en la área de Millennia, hechos por Leonard, Emerson, Ryan Companies, sobre otras. Uh -huh. I've had the opportunity to visit projects in Otay Ranch, Millennia, um, uh, made by Leonard, Emerson, and Ryan, those uh, three companies. Donde he podido platicar con trabajadores cuales trabajan horas extras, sábados, domingos, y no reciben ningún pago extra. And I have the opportunity to talk to, to those workers, um, which they work uh, extra hours, even Saturdays, uh, Sundays, and they don't receive any extra pay or anything. Cada día de pago salen cortos sus cheques por cualquier razón o excusa de sus mayordomos. Mm -hmm. And actually, the check comes like, like a less than expected. Uh, any, any excuse, it's uh, fine, uh, due to, the, to the, uh, the leader or the person in charge of them. Sin poder decir nada, mantenerse callados para poder seguir trabajando las próximas semanas. Mm -hmm. And also not being able to say anything, so they just you know, have to keep quiet so they could continue uh, you know, being able to, to work uh, for the next uh, weeks. Solo queda una cosa que hacer, Chulavista, y es pasar esta transparency ordinance. Gracias. So there is only one thing, Chulavista, that uh, is left to do, and it is to pass the transparency ordinance. Thank you. Muchas gracias. The next speaker is Marco Alcantara, followed by Jesse Garcia, followed by Matt Blake. Good evening, um, Council. It's very hard to explain or to, yeah, to explain or uh, to describe an emotion uh, when, when uh, there is something that you want, when you want to say something. Soy una de las personas que es, digamos, víctima de un trato financiero mal habido en una compañía no unión. And I'm a victim of, 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 uh, of agreement with a financial company that it, it was not part of the part of a union. Esto solo se entiende si yo les preguntara a ustedes. And this would be only um, understanding if I, if I would ask to you. ¿Qué pasaría si yo fuera tu hermano o tu hijo? What would happen if I would be your, your, uh, your brother or your son? Es, es pesado este trabajo. Es pesado este trabajo y no es bien remunerado. Uh, this type of job is very uh, how is it, heavy, like, and, and is that well uh, paid? Cuando tienes una familia, un sueño. When y, you have a family, when you have a dream. Y te tienes que levantar en la madrugada. And when you have to get up like early in the morning. Trasladarte dos horas hacia, hacia el trabajo. And also, you know, the, the, the commute is like two hours. Regresar, in order for you to get to, to, your, to your work. Trabajar ocho horas duras. Like work like really hard eight hours. Y el tráfico te and hace the, regresarte más de dos horas. And the traffic on the way back is over two hours. Ves poco a tu familia, convives poco con tus So you don't queridos. see that much of your family. You don't really have the opportunity to, to um, uh, you know, like, be with your family. Y, y tuve la fortuna, y gracias a Dios. 
I have the fortune and thanks to the Lord de contactar a una persona Ricardo Sánchez to contact a person Ricardo Sánchez fue la persona que estuvo aquí anterior it's the person mí. who was you know before me who's, who uh, spoke before me que fue el que me guió paso a paso a cómo poder estar en una compañía o en un sindicato he's the, the person who He's the person who, who showed me the way, like, you know, step by step, how, how to become part of a union. De la cual tengo el respaldo de todos ellos. And, and I have, you know, all their, uh, they're my backup. El respaldo de, de mi futuro, de my, mi carrera. My future, my career. Y mis sueños. And also my dreams, they're my backup. Para mi familia. For my family. Y es por eso que a nombre de esa gente que está sufriendo ese, ese maltrato financiero. And that's the reason why uh, uh, in representation of, of, of those people that are suffering from uh, those financial like uh, situation. Aprueben esta ley de ordenanza transparente. That you guys approve this um, ordinance. Um, transparency. transparency ordinance. Sorry, my mind's like. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, Mayor, Council Members. My name is Jesse Garcia. I'm uh, born and raised in the city of Chula Vista, alumni, Castle Park High School. My three boys um, all graduated from Hilltops. They're Lancers, unfortunately. And I got two twin girls that attend Rosebank Elementary. I have deep roots here in the city of Chula Vista, and just two weeks ago, I was at my mom's house right here on Parkway, just right south of us. And we had a family party, um, celebrating her birthday party. And we had a all, bunch of family there. It was, it was awesome and a blessing to see everybody come together. And so when family gets together, we start talking about the Padres. Um, we start talking about you know projects that are being uh, developed here in the city of Chula Vista. My brother's actually working on the resort Um, and we were just giving them a hard time talking about, hey, now you get to actually ride a bike to, to work instead of uh, commuting all the way up to Oceanside like the previous project. So we were just talking about projects and talking about work and uh, we started talking about the transparency ordinance. And I started explaining what it was to my family. And um, in this conversation, my cousin Vanessa's fiance, who we had just met for the first time, and we kind of gave him a hard time in the beginning, He, uh, he actually told me he was a, an assistant superintendent for Lennar Multifamily. And we started talking about what this transparency ordinance meant. And he then actually started to disclose some information to me about um, his role with Lennar. He's no longer with Lennar. He's, a general, he's an engineer, civil engineer, and he's now working for an underground company. Um, I wanted him to come here and speak, but he didn't want to get blacklisted uh, by some of the developers that may be here. But nonetheless, he shared with me how his leadership and his ownership have directed you know, the superintendents not to, uh, whenever there was a grievance or, uh, or an, a worker on a project, on one of their projects that came to them with complaints of not being paid Um, any type of uh, uh, issues was basically to direct them just back to their company and say, hey, you got to handle it with your company that has nothing to do with us. Um, 
They were directed not to give any information on where to get resources and, uh, and where to, uh, and, and basically don't give them any labor compliance information. Um, um, don't give them, don't educate them on, on their rights. Um, and it was sad to hear how this um, real estate development community was directing these superintendents and not to put nothing in writing, not to put nothing in text messages, basically just defuse the situation, walk away and continue on. Um, and it was sad to actually hear that from his side. And I asked him, I said, do you think that was right? And he said, oh, of course not. He's of course not. There was times where I had workers coming to me saying that they weren't getting paid for the last two weeks and uh, they're falling behind on, on bills and I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't go to the, to the, they didn't, my leadership had directed us not to address anything and we got it. It was all about production. Let's just get the job done. It didn't matter. So it was sad to hear that. And, and I say that and I share that story because it's important that we do have transparency and we're able to disclose when they, there's repeated or just labor uh, contract subcontractors that are labor law violators. When a, a developer is fighting hard to against this, we know it's an issue. It's an issue because a responsible contractor, like the ones that are over there right now, they're not here. They're not here saying that it's going to prolong their process. It's going to be, you know, hurdles. No. Why? Because they, are, they do responsible contracting. They will not deal with this type of, these type of issues on a project. And I, and, I, and I get a little emotional because this is near and dear, dear to my heart because I, I too have spoke to many workers. I've, I've heard so many stories and I've helped workers um, on a pathway to get their money back. And that, that process takes a long time, a long time for them to get any kind of money back. But I, I urge you guys, let's move this forward. This is what we need for the city of Chula Vista. We need more protections for more workers. There's a lot of development coming. Thank you. The next speaker is Matt Blake, followed by Will Hawk, followed by Hannah Bay. Good evening. Uh, I'm Matt Blake, Union Carpenter for Local 619. I'm a lifelong resident of Chula Vista. Uh, I graduated from Bonita Vista High School in 2009. I'm a, I'm a homeowner in uh, Otay Ranch area in the Montesino uh, neighborhood. So um, I had the opportunity of working on a project labor agreement at Southwestern College, where I was able to save, where I was able to work, save up money, and purchase my own home in Chula Vista. But I share my story because I had worker protections. And on these PLA projects, we had compliance officers to ensure people were paid properly and the contractors were abiding to the California state laws. A transparency ordinance was never needed on these projects, on these project labor agreements. So I was, I was a lucky one. But unlike workers that are still building the city of Chula Vista on private projects, not having worker protections in place and working for contractors that prey on the uneducated and rob them of hard-earned money is just wrong. We need a transparency. We need to shed light on how many criminal contractors are doing business in Chula Vista, my city. Please protect your local worker and implement the transparency ordinance today. Thank you.
The next speaker is Will Hawk, followed by Hannah Bay. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. Uh, hope you guys are having a good evening. It's been a long one for me, for my daughter as well. My name is William Hauk. I'm also a lifelong Chula Vista resident. I was born steps from here at Bayview Memorial, which is now Scripps Hospital. Went to Greg Rogers Elementary, Hilltop Junior. Graduated in East Lake 98. You just made me feel old, Matt. Thank you. Uh, so I love the city of Chula Vista. I, too, am a homeowner here. I'm a father of four. I only have one here with me. My kids go to Tiffany. I live not too far from LA Fitness, uh, right by the 125, which was also topic this evening. But I just want Chula Vista to remain the great city that I grew up in. And I, I would love to have a job here. I would love to not have to drive past the 8 freeway every day to go to work. I'd love to be on one of these awesome projects here. Love to see you guys do things with PLAs on every project you build. And the transparency ordinance is essential because I've been taken advantage of as a non-union employee. I had to have my eyes open and get brought to the union. I'm extremely proud to be a part of that organization and those brothers and sisters behind me. Um, it's important because I need that money. Father of four, my wife stays home with my kids. I, I can't get my wages stolen from me by an unconscionable or an, a contractor that doesn't care, that just wants to exploit workers. I just want you guys to do the right thing and spend the money wisely. I get it, it might be more money, but you're getting a contractor that's building something in this community that's not just a building. They're building your community stronger. They're building the people up in it. I spend my money in this city. My kids are growing up in this city. They will continue to grow in this city. That means a lot to me. So I just ask that you guys support, you know, the transparency ordinance. You guys, you know, build with PLAs. Not saying it has to be a union contractor, but the union contractors, they provide a style of living that those guys don't get to have that are working on those non-union jobs. You know, they don't have health care benefits. They don't have pension pay. They don't have vacation pay coming to them. They don't have the opportunity to get to spend more time with their children, you know? I mean, I got to bring my kid here to spend time with her. So just ask that you guys do the right thing and uh, support the transparency ordinance. Have a good evening. The next speaker is Hannah Bay, who is the representative for a group representing um, Adrian Luma and Lori Holt-Byler, followed by Ann Sarnio Estrada, Alan C., and then Doug Hicks. Good evening, my name is Hannah Bay and I'm Vice President of Government Affairs at the Building Industry Association of San Diego County. I represent the hundreds of home builders that are being falsely slandered tonight as criminals. I also represent the hundreds of thousands of San Diegans that struggle every day to survive because of a lack of housing. I'm a single mother of three. I work two jobs. I sleep in my kitchen because there are not enough homes available. I've had to make that choice. Do you pay your rent or do you pay your rent? Or do you buy groceries? And I appreciate the opportunity to clarify why we are in opposition of this today because it is not for the reasons that are being said. I'm speaking tonight to urge you to delay action on the items proposed under agenda item 8.2. I'm asking that you provide an economic analysis. I'm asking you to perform adequate stakeholder engagement on the direct 
the indirect and the cumulative impacts of this proposal. And I'm asking that you drop the concept of requiring a PLA on affordable housing. I'm asking you to allow us to build homes in Chula Vista. I understand that the intent of the city tonight, your action is to be consistent with similar jurisdictions across the region. However, the requirements that are outlined in your proposed contractor transparency ordinance far exceed those adopted by any surrounding jurisdiction. Additionally, proposing affordable housing to re be required to do project labor agreements far exceeds any requirement adopted by any adjacent jurisdiction. Proposing policies that greatly increase risk for home builders to do business in the city will result in residential development leaving the city. Regulatory requirements of all kinds drive the cost up of development and they prevent the construction of new homes. Tonight's proposals create additional regulatory costs, regulatory barriers, and they are going to prevent building new homes in Chula Vista. The housing development and the housing market is in crisis. We are already the highest, one of the highest regions to build homes in the entire nation. We cannot afford to adopt policies that increase costs, increase risk, and will result in less homes being built. Our housing market's in crisis. 14,592 San Diegans identify as homeless. 303,656 San Diego families are on a wait list for housing assistance. We cannot afford to adopt any regulatory policies that will further collapse an already collapsing market. People are sleeping on the streets. People are sleeping in their cars. People are making the choice. Can we eat or pay rent? Families are moving out of state. This isn't a joke. This is the daily lives and the quality of lives of people that we are talking about. And the only way to solve a housing crisis is to build more homes. The supply of homes needs to meet the demand of the people. Our regional housing crisis exists because our policy system has created a bureaucracy that's based on alternative facts and ignores market economics. We have created a regulatory structure that's nearly impossible to comply with. You've created a regulatory structure that's not economically viable. Tonight's policy proposals are not based on data. Tonight's policy proposals are not based on market economics. Tonight's policy proposals are based on false rhetoric driven by political agendas. Tonight's proposals will halt residential development in the city. Our developers simply want to build homes. Our developers simply want to solve the housing crisis. Why does the government continually refuse to allow us to build homes for the people? The requirements outlined in your transparency ordinance far exceed any adopted jurisdictions. State regulatory entities already exist to monitor these enforcement actions related to the labor law violations. Passing an ordinance that threatens to pull project permits because the State Department of Industrial Relations can't manage their own investigation procedures is unreasonable. If you take action tonight to adopt language as proposed within the labor transparency ordinance, you will collapse the housing market in Chula Vista. When the government fails to do their job, local businesses cannot be required to do it for them. If the government can't even monitor their own previous and pending enforcement actions, why does the city think that requiring local businesses to do it within your section 2.71.040 of this revised code will be effective? 
If the government entity that issues penalties for violations can't even manage their own system, why is the city of Chula Vista requiring local businesses do that within section 2.71.050 of this revised code? The proposed wording within the labor transparency ordinance is infeasible to comply with. The entire state government entity tasked with monitoring, enforcing, and managing these labor law violations can't even comply with their requirements. When the government fails to do their job, local businesses should not be required to do it for them. Why would you think that tasking residential developers with infeasible regulatory requirements will result in the construction of more homes? This proposal will not do that. All we want is to build homes for people to live in. All we want to do is solve the housing crisis. Please provide a regulatory environment that allows homes to be built in the city of Chula Vista. Tonight's proposals have been championed by a small faction of special interest unions that are deeply invested into Chula Vista politics. Unionized construction labor constitutes a very small percentage of the entire construction workforce in San Diego. Chula Vista small and emerging businesses are the ones that will be hurt by this contractor, sub, uh, contractor su transparency ordinance. The city of Chula Vista has 9,056 registered in-city businesses, 90% of which are 10 or fewer employees. 2,535 of these businesses are local that are women-owned, minority-owned, veteran-owned, and disabled-owned businesses. These are the organizations that should be offered the opportunity to provide stakeholder input on the ramifications of this proposal. It's deeply concerning that a union agenda is being catered to exclusively by the city of Chula Vista, which was the motion that was taken action on on the May 9th. We appreciate city staff for allowing us to be part of the stakeholder engagement and we sincerely hope city council will continue to expand their outreach. All the residents want is a house to live in and all our builders wanna do is keep building homes. We wanna provide jobs for our workers. We wanna house people in the region and any addition of regulatory policies that are not based on market conditions and transparent stakeholder engagement will exacerbate our housing crisis. Proposing a project labor agreement on affordable projects in the city far exceeds any jurisdiction in our region. Project labor agreements are well known to be associated with higher costs for new home. Recent data shows these requirements at a minimum of 16% to development costs. California's housing costs are already among the highest in the country. And today you're considering adopting a policy that has no economic analysis attached to it. Factual data shows that you will substantially increase the costs associated with residential development when you acquire PLAs. Adopting a citywide project labor agreement for affordable housing will result in less homes being built in this city. Affordable housing already requires developers to stitch together many different sources of funding, each with their own timelines and requirements. The increased financial complexity of affordable housing development comes with additional costs. Could I please have the um, audience, if you could be quiet and listen to the speaker, please? Thank you. For example, these uh, costs are associated with higher attorney fees, consultant fees, delayed development timelines, and increases in the amount of interest a developer must pay. It's already incredibly difficult to obtain construction financing in today's market, and today's proposal will exacerbate the housing crisis. When you create regulatory barriers that break the market economics, your result will be less homes built. 
If you adopt this proposal, you can expect the city of Chula Vista to see less homes built. If you adopt this proposal, you can expect the city of Chula Vista to see developers leave this jurisdiction. If you adopt this proposal, you can expect the city of Chula Vista to see construction workers having to leave the city. If you adopt this proposal, you can expect the city of Chula Vista small businesses to go out of business. Before you move forward with this proposal, please complete an economic analysis. Before you move forward with this proposal, please perform adequate stakeholder engagement. And before you move forward with this proposal, please ask yourself, is it reasonable to make local businesses do the job of the government? Nothing in this proposal will create more homes being built in Chula Vista. The people of Chula Vista need, they need homes. Tonight's policy proposal, they are not based on data. Tonight's policy proposal, they're not based on market economics. Why won't you let us build homes in the city of Chula Vista? Why is the government continually trying to keep local residents from having a home? On May 9th, this item was heard, and we repeatedly heard the residential home builders of Chula Vista slandered as criminals, criminal contractors, criminal contractors, criminal contractors. Who is the real criminal here today? Is it our government that continues to create barriers to residential housing, or is it the builders who are trying to house the people? Thousands of Chula Vista residents are desperate for an affordable place to live. The government, please, just let us build homes. Stop creating barriers to home building. Thank you. The next speaker is Anselmio Estrada, followed by Alan C., followed by Doug Hicks. Uh, good afternoon or evening. Good evening, members of the Chula Vista City Council. My name is Anselmo Jake Estrada, political director for the San Diego Building and Construction Trades Council. I'm here on behalf of our 22 affiliate unions with over 35,000 workers. Also, I am a proud resident of Chula Vista and a homeowner here in West Chula. Uh, I want to thank this council and in particular the members of the Labor Ad Hoc Committee for bringing this item forward today. Our members respectfully request that this council supports staff recommendation and move forward with negotiating a citywide project labor agreement uh, with appropriate stakeholders. Over the past several decades, and you've heard a little bit of that here tonight, over the past several decades, PLAs have been entangled in an ideological debate that I was gonna say often, but almost all but every single time uh, overshadows region and logic. Uh, PLAs act as powerful tools to ensure stronger workforce standards and they act as drivers in our local economy. Uh, PLA should just be viewed for exactly what they are. They are, uh, they are a tool to provide and ensure value on construction projects for workers, for taxpayers, and for businesses. Uh, some things that this council and those here should also note, uh, PLAs easily incorporate and uphold prevailing wage requirements on publicly subsidized housing and other types of construction, uh, and they do not increase the cost of developments nor do they decrease the number of bidders on projects. And like, there's data here. Like, PLAs have been around since World War I. I think the first iteration was like in uh, the early 1900s. So um, in addition to uh, two separate studies that we included in our backups to council, uh, our very own San Diego Unified School District uh, demonstrated that the 200 plus projects that they've built with their project stabilization agreement, a PSA, which is in other words a PLA, uh, between 2009 and 2019 came in at a 3% savings under their engineers' estimates. Um, also during that time, Santa Unified School District was able to demonstrate that, their, uh, that under their PSA, 
they were able to award 9.75% of construction dollars to minority-owned businesses. Now, if you take that and compare that to the city and the market rate that the city has for uh, that same demographic, it's the county, or sorry, the county, it's 1.74%. Uh, um, so, I mean, as a council, you have a unique opportunity to leverage current CFP dollars to do much, much more than just build uh, the needed infrastructure and housing that I mean, we also desperately need. You have an opportunity to put these tax do taxpayer dollars to work uh, for the Chula Vistans that work and live here, right? You have the opportunity to give the resources and the tools for families that are already working so hard to, to put themselves in the middle class and then and just stay there. You know, like let's take this two, uh, like, like, let's take this like three steps uh, past like the logical conclusions that were thrown out here. You know, we can do more than just line developers' pockets. We can actually invest in our community. So please make the right decision. Just support staff recommendations. Have this go through the process, just like every other major jurisdiction is doing, just like the state has done or is doing, and other uh, municipalities. Thank you. The next speaker is Alan C., followed by Doug Hicks, followed by Kelvin Barrios. I do, do you mind pulling that, ma'am, do you mind pulling that slide back which showed the criteria different people preference hiring? Uh, thank you, Jose, for pointing out that last uh, thing about asking about the additional fees. That was phenomenal. Actually, ask, you know, for the, uh, for, uh, final closeout of that uh, traffic score took. I'd got that ticket on the Redwoods, and I got a DMV manual, and the cover of the manual actually had a picture of the Redwoods to just another bite wound in my ticket. So anyways, let's get back to this. Okay, so we're looking here, recommendations, who to hire. I'm a veteran. 30% disabled worker go, veterans anywhere? No. When I get my house painted, I don't hire based on what race he is, what his income is, whether he brought his child with him to this podium, I'd, I'd ask you just, yes, just um, uh, go ahead and speak out, to us, not to the audience, please. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. But I'm pointing out the fact is when I get my house painted, I hire to get the house painted. I don't hire because that guy's a veteran or that guy brings his child here to get sympathy from you or this guy has to drive further or drive closer or that he's a Chula Vista resident. I hire to get my house painted through competition, through capitalism, to get the best deal for the job. This is, this is insane to have this, this happens, every government agency, you wanna make a buck, go work for the government because we're gonna find a way to nickel and dime you to death and screw the taxpayer over, screw your great grandchildren over because the fees will get higher and higher and higher. The bottom line is when you get a contract, it's for the best quality job. It may not be the cheapest to get that job, but you're gonna get quality work. I'll give you two examples of quality work. H Street, asphalt laying, look how quick that went. J Street, in one day, they tore up the road and put new asphalt down in one day. It may cost more. I don't know if that's POA or not POA, but the point I'm making is you get the best guy for the job for the job, not because any other this nonsense. That needs to go away. It needs to be based on the job. That's what's critical. I don't want to be based on, yeah, sure, we want the money to stay in the city as far as the people living here, but the bottom line is, the best quality job may not be the cheapest, but the best quality for that job. Every time I see these unions come in, one guy strong arm said he has 1,800 employees monopoly. Another one said he has 35,000 employees. Is that a monopoly? 
Are we not actually looking at competition? I point back to Republic Services when they had that garbage strike. I love that we have a five-year plan, though that does seem long, and no strike allowed. But there will be a strike. When you lock in just one contract, just one group with 35,000 people, that's a monopoly. How's it going to help your grandchildren when they take over? Is that what we want? Is that what we want to actually increase wages? Sure, it helps you out up front. But what does it help your great-grandchildren when the cost of everything has gone through the roof, through the COVID, through the business shutdown? All these businesses shut down. Why didn't we stop the tax instead of giving money out later? And then now with all these jobs lining up, as I mentioned before, I come from a small town. I consider Chula Vista a small town American communities from San Ysidro, Chula Vista, all the little communities. Let's keep it that way. So yeah, I actually support the woman back that said that we want to build more houses. But on the other side, I actually said yes, because you know what? I don't want all these affordable housing units popping up here and there like can third. So yeah, go ahead and sign up on your guys' plan and cut down the amount of buildings being built. And I'm fat, dumb, and happy because that'll keep me in the small town. So weigh that in too as you decide which way you want to go. I yield back. The next speaker is Doug Hicks, followed by Kelvin Barrios, followed by Carol Kim. Good evening, Mayor, City Council. Is it unreasonable to expect that if the city invests in a project for affordable housing, that the workers on that project do not qualify for the same affordable housing? It is a vicious cycle. If a worker on affordable housing makes 30 or 40% AMI, the developers are literally creating their own clientele, all with a public subsidy. By requiring labor standards, we are ending the cycle of abuse of the workforce. Project labor agreements. It's a community workforce agreement. It's saying if Chula Vista residents are putting skin in the game and putting their tax dollars in the project, they get first crack at working on it. That is not an unreasonable ask and a utilization for the public good of public funds. Let's talk about the transparency ordinance. It's not slander if it's true. I've walked the jobs. I have spoken to the exploited workers. The people who realize that their dream, the American dream, has been stolen from them. And their best hope is maybe their kids get a shot at the American dream. Maybe they can break the cycle of exploitation. Home builders could not find a cheaper works, a labor source. They found a more exploitable workforce. The amount of exploitation going on in Chula Vista, the human trafficking victims I have personally talked to, why are the developers screaming so loud about this? The lady doth protest a little too much. We are about to shine a light on their business practices. The exploitative practices they have allowed for decades. Cash pay, human trafficking, undocumented exploitation. It is not acceptable to increase your profit margin off the back of a worker because of the color of their skin and the language that they speak. It is time that it ends in Chula Vista. And I'll challenge anybody to say it's not happening today. They haven't put a damn foot on the job site, because I have. And I've been there, and I've talked to the workers, and I've been in the garages with six families. And for people to say it's not happening, we don't need this. It's unreasonable to expect that someone knows who's working on their job. It's not unreasonable to say, I know who I'm hiring. I know who I'm investing in. Would you want to vet a criminal background on a contractor you're going to hire for your home? Be a valuable piece of information to have. 
Why is it unreasonable to expect that you know who you're employing? I have talked to hundreds of developers over the last six years. And when we bring the receipts for the exploitation that the workers experience, they all clutch their pearls and say, if I'd only known, I just wouldn't have hired them. It is time they put their money where their mouth is. If they have to put it in writing, it doesn't even prevent the contractor from getting the job. They just have to say, this is my business model. This is my business practice. And they are afraid and terrified to do it. It is one form to fill out online. That is all you're asking them to do. And they wrote a 14-minute speech on why that's a bad idea. If you're sophisticated enough to build a multifamily project, you can figure out how to fill out one online form. This is not the first time this has passed. It passed in the city, it's passed in the county, and I applaud the city of Chula Vista for standing up and saying, this is not how we as a city do business. We are going to demand that if you do business in the city of Chula Vista, you will be accountable. When a health inspector walks into a restaurant and they see rats and roaches, what do they do? They pull the permit immediately. Why is it that an inspector could walk onto a job site, ask, who do you work for? And the worker says, I don't know, I work for that guy. Well, who's he then? That's my labor broker. How do you get paid? Cash. Why should the city not have the same right to protect those workers as you do the general public getting a pizza? There is nothing to fear as long as you're not lying on your form. The only thing that they're afraid of is they're actually going to have to pay a legitimate labor price that's going to eat into their profits. It is not the cost of the drywaller and the framer and the concrete worker and the plumber and the electrician that is driving up the cost of projects. Take a look at what the CEO of Lennar makes. Take a look at what the CEO of Shea Holmes makes. It's in the millions, but they're worried about the cost of a drywaller in Chula Vista. Asking somebody to not exploit another human being is not too much for the city of Chula Vista to ask. If they're worried about putting their business practice in writing, they shouldn't be doing business anywhere in this city. Thank you. Well, I'm not going to beat that speech, but I am going to agree 100% with it. My name is uh, Kelvin Barrios. I'm with the Laborers International Union of North America. I'm here representing my business manager, Valentin Macedo, and our 4,000 members in San Diego County. Uh, I'm here to speak on all three items on the report. Um, start off with the subcontractor transparency ordinance. We are in full support of this. You know, we appreciate uh, the city outreach and the conversations we've had with city staff. I know they've done an outreach to the key stakeholders around this, and you know, we fully support all the comments made by my brothers from the Carpenters Union and CWA. Um, on one item that's actually uh, more uh, closer to us that uh, I think we're spearheading is the prevailing wage requirement for uh, a prevailing wage, minimum wage requirement for traffic control workers. Um, we do hope we get to see that actually come back uh, maybe as an ordinance in September. Uh, the city of San Diego did recently pass uh, a similar ordinance to what the county did in March. So, you know, backtracking, county passed. Uh, prevailing wage, minimum wage for traffic control workers and the right-of-way in March. Um, at the, I believe it went into effect in March. And the city of San Diego just passed that on consent 9-0 last week. And I believe it will go into effect in September, October. Uh, so we do hope that the city of Chula Vista can follow suit with that. Um, you know, we can provide more information and even connect again with, uh, I believe, city staff. So I would have been connected with the county and, you know, how to do enforcement mechanisms and ensuring like the, the proper language is you know, adopted. Uh, so again, we welcome more um, stakeholder outreach on that. Uh, on 
the PLA, um, I think there's been comments, and especially AJ from the Building Trades kind of really noted a lot of the benefits for that. Um, it's interesting the way the BIA, you know, calls comments made by, you know, our union brothers and sisters, like rhetoric, but the, the PLA is, my understanding is just for city projects and, you know, public funds, and I don't know how a city CIP program is going to halt construction and no more housing is going to be built in Chula Vista and all the businesses are going to shut down and it's just going to become a barren city. So I'd love to see, you know, next year when city of Chula Vista is thriving and, you know, construction is still going on. Uh, on the uh, housing component, on the PLA, in Chula Vista, uh, not in Chula Vista, but on MTS, uh, there was a... Um, a policy adopted, so maybe staff can look at it a little bit, and, and um, that's a little bit more on the building trades, but I did want to make a comment that I saw in the report that there will be a threshold as far as like what would trigger it, but I know at MTS there was a prevailing wage requirement and like skilled and trained workforce requirement that was added in 2019 on their P3s, uh, so I think city staff actually knows because on East Street, there's that lot, and on the MTS side of that lot, the trolley station, there's a prevailing wage requirement already on that project. On the city side, I don't believe there's that requ requirement, and that's a good project to look at as, you know, where can we implement this first, you know, to actually get a PLA and build something union and something that's great for Chula Vista. So I do encourage looking at E Street, but also looking at what MTS was doing there. So I don't know if it's beneficial if you have too high of a threshold, you know, on investments, like investing land is an investment, right? But how are you going to quantify that? If you're renting out, like, are you going to look at the lease term? And if you have too high of a threshold, so if you do a 50-year lease or a 100-year lease on land, you might not hit a threshold if you set it in the millions as far as what the city's investment is, but it's still publicly owned land. So I, on our end, we don't agree with a threshold. Uh, MTS has any P3 project, anything that the jurisdiction touches, it's prevailing wage. So on this thing, and that has produced housing development, contrary to what, you know, the BIA is saying that, you know, nothing's going to be built. Um, affirmed housing has been building projects for MTS since that has passed, and they're doing it under a PLA, and it's not affected the construction. You know, these projects are going online. You know, they have a good model. There's other developers that are doing it, even on East Street. MTS owns part of that project, and as we understand it, when the RFP went out, there was a developer that had a PLA, you know, for that project. So again, we feel like this is going to be very beneficial for the city. Uh, we support 100% PLA requirement on the housing. We would rather not see a limit and just be again trigger the threshold. Thank you again. And one last note: uh, Chula Vista is leading. You know, I do think Chula Vista is the most labor-friendly city that we have, and that's something that you all should be proud of. Um, I don't think, oh, just because you want to conform to other cities, no, you guys should lead. So thank you again. The next speaker is Carol Kim. Good evening, everyone. It's good to be here and to see all of you tonight. My goodness, you know, the sky's going to be falling if you pass any policies that include labor standards in them, per some of the previous speakers. Um, I just want to say, I want to start by addressing a couple of things. The first is that you know, we had a previous speaker invoke multiple times the notion of market economics. You know, let market economics do their work. Let's talk about what the economy is. 
the way they referenced market economics, they actually made it sound like it was a force of nature, something that you would see in the wild. Like if you went on safari, um, you might see one in the distance, right? This is not the case. It turns out that the economy is a human-made system of inputs and outputs. You create, put in inputs, and it's designed to produce certain outputs. That same speaker referenced the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands even, um, San Diegans who are currently struggling to survive in our local economy, utilizing these very market economics that this person held up to be the model of how we should be doing things. Those very economics have produced those outcomes. So tonight, you have an opportunity to do something about it, to change the economics in a way that will allow us to do more than just scrap to survive, but actually thrive in our communities, in our homes, and in the places that we work. I also want to note, as well, that I was delighted to hear that the BIA simply wants to build homes. That's it. They don't want profits, guys. They just want to build them. So if that's the case, we don't have a problem here. The fact of the matter is, we all know that that's not actually true. The BIA wants to do more than just simply build homes. They would like to make a handy profit while they're doing it. And they do make that profit currently, which is why they're fighting these particular labor standards and policies so strongly, because they know that if you actually implement some of these policies, by the way, which do nothing more than enforce the law, the actual law that they should be complying with to begin with. So, you know, I think we're all pro-law enforcement here, and I don't understand why we wouldn't do the things that actually hold businesses accountable to passing to the law. All of this to say that transparency, the contractor transparency policy that is being put forward, it's a good policy. It actually gives you, the city, tools to be able to actually tackle issues when they arise when contractors are actually breaking the law, period. And by the way, it doesn't even, like, the policy doesn't actually create situations where people are, like, knocked out immediately. It gives them multiple chances to actually fix the problem. If these were honest, good faith errors, they did not mean to do it, whatever it is, they get to try to correct it before other actions take place. So this particular policy, the, transparent, the contractor transparency policy, it's an excellent one. Project labor agreements, we've already heard about how good those are. Frankly, these have been utilized everywhere throughout the county. Hundreds of PLAs have been utilized in, from many public agencies. PLAs have a 2.1 economic multiplier effect. Let's talk about the economy, right? Even in this market or these market economies, um, economics, you can still see some benefit from PLAs to workers. 2.1 multiplier effect for every dollar spent under a PLA. Those dollars circulate in the local economies 12 times. They will pass hands 12 times, supporting those very local businesses, by the way, that are supposed to be put out of business by something like this. It's absolute nonsense. And I do want to note that I'm an affordable housing developer myself. My other hat is that I'm the CEO of the San Diego Building Trades um, Council's Family Housing Corporation. We own and operate an affordable housing property right next door in National City, 23 acres, 456 units, 43 different buildings. And we are actually in this moment, in the process of, uh, we're actually on a prelim prelim preliminary list 
to get funded bond for bonds for um, our affordable housing development. We're going to be increasing density on that site. It's very exciting. Um, and we're doing it under PLA. Isn't that amazing? Because allegedly you can't do this under PLA. It's just false. And I hope that you will push past some of this really anti-union, anti-worker rhetoric tonight and actually pass policies that we know will actually sustain and hold up the workers that make up your constituency of this community. Thank you so much. That concludes public speakers on this item. There were um, uh, six e-comments received, two were in opposition, four were in support, and there was one email received in support and one in opposition. Thank you. Um, now we will go ahead and go to council member comments. Uh, member Cardenas. First of all, thanks everybody that came out here today to express um, both their support and their concerns for this. Um, I wanna just start by saying that I am very aware that we are in a housing crisis and that's a fact. Um, but the reality is that uh, this is a crisis that is first, further exacerbated by um, the continuous prey on our working families. Um, our residents don't just want a house to live in, they want to be able to afford the house that they're living in. Um, and that's critical for us as we move forward in the city. And I just wanna be perfectly clear that I, I do know who I'm representing, um, and that is the working families of Chula Vista. Um, and to be honest, I'm, I'm just actually very tired of some of the rhetoric that's going around in this um, item, some of the threats that we've been hearing uh, leading up to tonight and during public comments. I just really don't appreciate the fear-mongering and intimidation tactics that we're seeing. It's not okay. Um, and this is not the way our city operates. Um, as a policymaker that I was elected to represent my community, I'm not gonna be bullied into backing down to what I think is best for our working families. Uh, with that being said, I'm gonna break it down my feedback by item. Um, on the item uh, regarding the traffic control worker issues, um, I do appreciate the diligence that our staff has shown in looking at some of the issues that are happening at the county level. Um, however, what I'm not in agreement with is just the staff recommendation that we're gonna wait until the county's issues are resolved to move forward. Uh, I just don't believe that our traffic workers really have the luxury of waiting for something that can really be dragged down for a considerable amount of time. Um, especially when this is an issue that's addressing safety concerns and hazards. So I would actually like to see this come back at our next meeting in September. And I, I know that we're gonna talk through a lot of this, but um, I would be happy to have a special meeting if we need, think that we can't fit at all on <laughs> September 12th, because it is something that I think is very time sensitive. Um, for the transparency ordinance, again, I wanna thank staff for their very hard work on this issue. I know that we gave you all a lot uh, in May 9th, and I, I can't assume that any of it uh, has been easy um, or you know quick. And uh, on top of that, we asked you to meet with all of these people, so thank you. Um, but I, I, I do support the, the ordinance and would also like to see that come back the soonest that we can. Um, and for our project labor agreements, I mean, we're just asking for people to treat their workers right and to give them um, the, the, the ability to have the quality of life that we all sit here and preach. Um, and so I am very supportive of us engaging in, in, um, in the next phase of this so that we can see that again, come back as soon as possible. So um, 
that's my overall feedback on this. I think you know it's our responsibility to um, really be advocates for uh, the community that we sit up here and say that we're representing, and this is an important and crucial part of it. So thank you so much again. I know it was a lot, um, and we were bugging you about it in the meantime as well. So, um, and thanks to everybody that showed up today to speak. I really appreciate that as well. Member Preciada. So I wanted to begin by seeking uh, consensus from the council to direct staff uh, at a future meeting to proceed with the, the um, prevailing wage and safety enhancement, enhancements and safety for the uh, traffic workers. So I appreciate that staff has indicated based on the review that it might be better to wait until the county's matter is resolved. But the fact of the matter is the federal court did not put a stay on the implementation. It is implemented now. And I, I'm just seeking consensus to a future meeting so that we can provide direction to the staff. And I don't know if you can poll us or how we can make that happen. Why, why don't we listen to the other council members uh, and then well, we can- I'm interested in having that consensus now. So if you're able to poll us, or how do we do it? Uh, are we, would you like to speak or uh, do the consensus now? I would just have a question as to what is staff's recommendation on that point. Wasn't it already intended to return? Uh, so if the referral is for us to return in September with the prevailing wage item, Realistically, I'm not sure I can negotiate an agreement with the county in that time. So is, is that what you're wanting me to have or just no, the ordinance? The referral is to provide you direction to proceed because based on your memo, you have decided not to proceed and, and wait until the county's finished with their litigation with the B, the organization. And I just want to provide clarity. I don't want to pressure or move anything faster. I just want to clarify yeah. what that is. And I know we can't discuss it today that's why I want to put it on the future agenda so that we can take a vote and you have direction on how to proceed. That is the only thing that I'm seeking to do with that particular item. Did that answer your question? Yes, to some degree. So if I understand correctly, I think I would be supportive of that direction um, as long as in the meantime we could get additional details as to, because I don't have that much context as to what that litigation is, what the exposure to the city is. Um, so I'd be looking forward to getting that information in the meantime. So, Mr. Mayor, do we have consensus? Um, what I would do is um, I think we would want to just go by and see, make sure everybody uh, talks about it real quick. Uh, Ms. Cardenas, do you have consensus with? Um, I do. I have consensus. Obviously, uh, we know uh, Mr. Preciado would. Um, I'm very, very concerned about the legal issues. I think the legal issues should be uh, set at the county prior to looking at this, and I think that could create a huge financial exposure to the city, uh, so I will say no. Member Chavez? I, I get consensus. Okay, we have consensus for one with the mayor not, a, uh, not supporting. So, and it was just to clarify, I'm just seeking policy direction. Uh, obviously, you're still pursuing the issues. 
the second issue that I wanted to look at is the transparency ordinance. And when this item was introduced to me, me as a, an issue or a concern, I only looked at it as an opportunity to sunshine the practices of our developers in terms of their work they're doing. This is not intended in any way to stop housing development. In fact, um, I've had meetings this week. I, all I hear is how the future that we're looking at and uh, as a city and in responsibility regionally, our responsibility to meet the housing needs is something that should be the envy of the other cities. Um, I know some cities choose not to develop further. We have the opportunity as a city and our vision is to continue to grow. And I believe we have partners that want to grow with us. And, um, and I believe that the transparency ordinance is an opportunity to um, you know, correct what, it, what, what it is happening. And in fact, one of the interesting things about this transparency ordinance is that all it requires is that you publicize who you're working with and their track record in maintaining and compliance. It doesn't say that if you publish that information, your permit will not be able to continue. And, uh, and maybe I'm wrong. If I am wrong, uh, so it doesn't matter who you are, who you work with, your contract, your project will continue. You just have to say, it is my business practice to do business with this subcontractor that has wage theft and has this and has that. Most likely, in my experience as I've interacted with developers in the recent period, is they're probably doing business with good people. They have good records. And putting a sun shining this is not going to be a problem. The last thing that I want to comment on is the PLA. Uh, I don't know uh, where people are reading their news, but I, if you haven't been to the Bayfront, that is one of the most significant projects the city is, in, is engaged in. It has a PLA. The last report I got from the city, from the Port Commissioner, and I'm pretty sure she's in communication with the developer, is that it's on time and on budget. I want all of our projects to be on time and on budget, and I want to make sure to the extent possible when we have public funds dedicated, which by the way, um, I, I will ask something clarifying, but the PLA that we uh, suggested we adopt is associated with the capital improvement program that's funded with tax dollars. It is not connected to private developers building on private land with private resources, private financing, private profits. That is not what the PLA is for. And so I don't understand uh, really what the objection is by these private developers or their representatives to a PLA that, that doesn't focus on their business practice or industry. The PLA is for our, our capital improvement program that is funded by tax dollars of the city and the state and the feds. And the PLA with regard to, um, uh, and with regard to affordable housing is only when that affordable housing has a public investment, either through land or through significant subsidy that it's brought in through the city. I look forward to further communication and engagement with these issues. Um, I never believed that the subcommittee that made the recommendation was had completed its work. In fact, what we wanted to do is turn it over to our professional staff 
to develop and to um, pursue all the areas of inquiry that are required to develop acceptable policy. What happens is in people's, for example, there was nothing to vote on today, and I received so many communications about not voting on stuff today. Nothing is on the agenda to be voted on. This is a report, and it's a progress report. I, I do appreciate the work uh, of Assistant General Man City Manager. I, I keep forgetting that I'm not in water anymore. The Assistant City Manager who uh, was tasked with this responsibility. With those comments, I, I yield back. Um, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Member Gonzalez. Uh, <clears throat> thank you. Would I be able to ask at this time a question of the organized presenters the, of the BIA? Um, I would allow that. Great. Um, and is available. I'm hoping as you walk up, my question is just if you're able and willing to elaborate a bit on your point um, that you repeated a couple of times that these um, three separate proposals far exceed what other cities have undertaken. Um, can yes, you, can absolutely. you speak specifics? Thank you, I appreciate the opportunity to clarify. Could you put your slides back up? For, and I'm looking for your subcontractor transparency slide that talked about enforcement because it is not equivalent to the contractor transparency ordinances in other jurisdictions that are simply filling out a piece of paper. The proposals today require excessive enforcement, which increases your risk. And so there's, there's two parts. There's one part that's not on the screen, which requires a developer to request from a subcontractor verification of every employee certification, which when a government entity issues certifications, these should be considered valid. And it's a very difficult request, and it's potentially questionably legal or not. That is something that does not exist in the other subcontractor uh, transparency ordinances. And this one says that if you have a labor law violation, your first time, they withhold inspections. Your second time, 12 months, you get a stop work. Your third violation in five years, you revoke permits. Most good policies outline a path to resolution. Mediation, my understanding is when PLAs exist with labor unions and there is a violation, there is an arbitration and a mediation agreement. There is not an enforcement structure like this. When there is an enforcement structure that's very draconian, it really increases the risk to our developers about what happens. What do you mean third violation? Is this two different contractors? Is it a small violation that was resolved? Is it a major violation? It's very unclear. It's very unattainable. So that's what I'm talking about in that aspect. And then the other part regarding PLAs is the affordable housing project part. That, to my understanding, has not been done anywhere in San Diego County. By jurisdiction. So thank you for the opportunity to clarify. Thank you. I don't think I have any More? further questions of you. But, um, no, th thank you. Thank you. I think our staff wants to. Can staff respond? Please. Yeah, yeah staff staff needs to respond I will call uh, on staff. Thank you. Um, so the um, comment that our ordinance requires the reporting of certifications is not correct. That's not in the draft ordinance. That is in the current City of San Diego ordinance. Um, so that is just maybe have been 
uh, switched. Um, so I did want to correct that point. And then in terms of the, um, the enforcement proce uh, procedures in some of the other cities, um, they go straight to stop work notice um, before the withholding of inspections. And then I believe the county ordinance has provisions for um, actual citing of misdemeanors, which our ordinance does not. Um, the primary enforcement mechanism would be the withholding of inspections. Um, but if there was a, where we were seeing continued violations, this is the ability to escalate, not a requirement to escalate. So I wanna also stress that, that this is not that the city shall issue a violation um, and a stop work notice on that second violation, but that we may, uh, similar with that third violation. So this is where we're continuing to see uh, violations, wolf violations. We would not revoke a permit over a paperwork error. Uh, but this does give us the ability to take additional enforcement action if we do have somebody who is flagrantly uh, violating the ordinance can, repeatedly. So I just want to just clarify that and what's been drafted and uh, is up for discussion tonight. Thank you very much for that clarification. I would like may continue, and I also want to thank you for um, being able to point to that and explain in, in in detail what you meant by that because I was missing some of the finer points of what you were referencing. And I do want to thank everybody who came out tonight to speak about the greater issues, uh, the emotions, the examples of, of why you do or do not believe this is necessary in general. Um, but I especially want to thank uh, Calvin, Calvin Barrios, who spoke to the finer points that helps us to our, do our job. He talked about what it is about the, the thresholds that he, he likes or doesn't like, what it is about the PLA benefits that works or don't work. Um, and and what the city of San Diego got right and got wrong. And moving forward, uh, because today we're just accepting the report, that's the kind of stakeholder input that I would really be looking forward to receiving from everybody. Um, because I think if we move forward with this item, I would, want it, I would want everybody to have the opportunity to weigh in on the finer points and not just a greater argument. So thank you very much for participating with us this evening. Member Chavez. First and foremost, I want to uh, thank my fellow council members and staff um, for all the work that has gone into bringing back these findings uh, to us today. Regarding the contractor transparency ordinance, I commend our staff's efforts, like I mentioned, uh, to study best practices, both locally and nationally. I know it was a lot of hard work. We, we talked about this many times. Uh, the adoption of an ordinance similar to San Diego's emphasizes our dedication uh, to transparency and accountability, basically. That's, those are the words that jump out to me. Transparency and accountability. This not only protects our city's interests, but also ensures that our residents know where and how their tax dollars are being utilized. And talking about PLAs, uh, their primary purpose, to my best understanding, is to ensure smooth operations, fair wages, and mutual respect between labor and management. By adopting citywide PLAs, we are making a statement. Chula Vista values its workforce and believes in establishing clear, beneficial agreements for all parties involved. We need reliable, educated, and local workforce. We need to send the message of value to our local workers. We need transparency. I want to thank everyone who took the time. And someone mentioned that 
one of the person, one of the speakers brought their kid to pull some emotional strings. No, that is the life of a worker. Two hour drive, eight hour shift, two hour drive back, you don't get to see your kids. I understand that, I grew up like that. My father used to have that workout, those work hours. And I was that kid that was promised a better future because he was always working. He expected that for us and he wanted that for us. I am pro-business, let's make that clear, but let's not criminalize fair, fair wage and equal opportunities. That is all, all that I have to say, thank you. Thank you, do I have any other comments from any of the other council members? Seeing none, um, first I wanted to thank uh, all the speakers on both sides. Um, I wanna thank our staff. Um, the input that you're looking for, I, I have some input. Um, I think we should make sure that we collect information from all stakeholders. And that means both sides, not just one side of the coin. Uh, the companies that must comply with the ordinance uh, should also be consulted. Uh, trade associations like the Building Industry Association, the Associated General Contractors, Western Electrical Contractors Association, and Commercial Real Estate Development Association. All are important partners in our growing economy, and their experience and expertise should be considered when drafting such a significant ordinance. I'm also, uh, someone who has been in the financial industry for years and I, I uh, have a master's degree in economics and I've been through the good times and the bad times. Uh, and I think we need to include an impartial study of potential economic impact. The impact on housing costs, particularly on affordable housing projects, um, which could potentially be quite severe. A serious study of the impact of our city is absolutely necessary. Uh, we have people on both sides uh, from people saying that PLAs uh, don't cost any money and we have other people who talk about 15, 16% and we even have some people who say 30 to 40%. But we need to look at our city. We need to understand what our ordinance would do uh, because we need to make sure we understand the cost to the city. Uh, with that, um, if there's no more input, I think we'll then move on to the next item. I, I do have some, I just have some clarifying questions for staff. Yes, Member uh, Cardenas. It, what, so I just wanna make sure that we are aware or have come to a consensus for staff of what we would like to see and when we would like to see it back. Um, Cause I think we just kind of all spoke and didn't really give you any real direction other than the the item that um, Deputy Mayor Preciado said. So I think for as far as for me and what I would like to see consensus from the rest of the council is for this to come back um, sooner rather than later. Um, and uh, you know, we're, we're looking at having, um, moving forward and having something back for the traffic ordinance after consensus in September. Um, but for the, follow, for the rest of the items, I would also like to see this continue and hopefully have consensus from the, count, from the council so that we can um, start seeing the, the, the process and for us to be able to eventually adopt the policy that we're all talking about. So that's, on, that's what I would request as a consensus. 
uh, for us to move forward tonight, if we can do that. So where would the consensus be again? For us to see this, all these policies come back for us to actually take a vote on them. On the next council meeting. No, yeah. so if if I, I the next one, if not, I'm open. Well, to I would I would ask the city manager uh, what's the reality. Uh, so we want to make sure the, that one of the questions I had you brought up the request for economic study. Do we have consensus for that? No. No. I will not for me. I I think that it's Im imperative. Uh, anytime you have a business, anytime you, you whether it's public, nonprofit, uh, you need to figure out what the financial analysis of and understand how you're going to be able to pay for things. Uh, so I, I would only will support it if we do a financial study. Do uh, Mr. Uh, Chavez and Mr. Oh, uh, Miss Chavez. Miss. And Mr. Uh, Gonzalez, are you uh, proposing an economic study impact from all three proposals? Trying to gauge. I, w I would think it would mainly uh, both mainly be the uh, yes. I would say all three. Okay. I, I don't think we have consensus anyway. Okay. So we do not have consensus on the council for a economic study. Sorry, Mr. Mayor, I just wanted to confirm. I think we heard from council member, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Deputy Mayor Preciado and council member Chavez on that point. And we've heard from you on it. I'm not sure we had. Cardenas. I'm sorry, Cardenas. Cardenas. I'm sorry. I was looking at her. I know. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. I just wanted to make sure we had. A decision from the two of you on whether or not you would join or member member Chavez. What uh, do you support the economic study or not? I don't. Okay. Okay. It yeah. looks like so, we don't have support for economic study. Okay. So I'm going to ask if you need to kind of go over what we anticipate we may be able to bring back, to, and uh, to be able to clearly communicate what we'll be working on. Tiffany. Okay, so I think um, our goal would be to come back for that September meeting uh, with a draft ordinance for the uh, minimum wage for traffic control workers. Like I said, I, I will have started the negotiations with the county, but we'll have to talk about implementation measures at that time. I'll have an ordinance for you. Um, definitely we'll be able to come back with the, trend, um, the reporting ordinance at that September meeting as well. I think I can also come back with the ordinance for the PLA for the city-owned property and the subsidized housing projects. I do, don't think it's realistic to negotiate a citywide PLA by September, but would of course continue to work with the, the groups on that. So I, that would be the target to bring back that package for you in September. And that works for me. That works for the rest of the council. Okay, it looks like we have a consensus of four council members with the mayor uh, opposed. Uh, so we, do we have any other comments? Go ahead, Ms. Member Preciado. So, um, while I don't support uh, the 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 market study or the economic study as a as a prerequisite to you moving forward, I I am interested in seeing the studies that were undertaken at the County of San Diego and the City of San Diego, and so if staff can prepare those or or bring them to us, I can't imagine that. Um, that if the studies were done before they acted, that they don't 
have uh, similar implications for us. So I'm, I am interested in the information. I just wanted to make sure that we would not have to wait uh, all uh, time to conduct a study before we had that. So I, I am interested in, in any economic study, particularly by the County of San Diego or the City of San Diego that have adopted these activities. And, and I'm, um, so if that's, I don't know if we need consensus for that, but you know, maybe we can all go on the website and see if they have them. So I, I don't know how we can get those. That's public information. We should be able to provide that. Okay. Uh, seeing no, no um, more comments, uh, we will now move to the city manager's report. Thank you, everybody. Uh, no comments for tonight. Thank you. You didn't want to continue the meeting for longer? <laughs> So um, I just wanted to um, thank everybody. Uh, it's been a great two weeks. Uh, first, I wanted to thank everybody who attended the Boards and Commissions uh, event at the library. I thought that there were a, a tremendous amount of Boards and Commissioners who sacrifice and uh, do a lot for the city. Uh, I always, I always uh, tease them that uh, we should double their pay because they don't make anything, so zero times two equals zero. Uh, but uh, they are great. I've uh, met with the National Association of Minority Contractors, uh, had a great meeting with them, uh, was a speaker at the Chula Vista uh, Firefighter Academy. Uh, we had 23 graduates. I know talking to many of the firefighters, uh, they were concerned about uh, having too much mandatory overtime, and they were very excited to bring on more uh, firefighters to make sure that they had somebody there uh, who uh, would be able to fill their shift. Uh, wanted to thank the uh, Downtown Village Association. Uh, we were able to work out something, and I want to thank Maria Cacciadorian, our city manager. Uh, they had been able to purchase a lot of tables, uh, with umbrellas and chairs, and uh, there were sort of uh, some a snafu there. Uh, so they had been sitting in a warehouse, um, and we were able to sort of cut the red tape to make sure that they could get those tables and chairs out on Third Avenue. Um, I wanted to thank our Parks and Rec Department. I think Tracy, I think Gil have already left for the day, seeing the meetings go so long, uh, but we had a great Parks and Rec Day at Memorial Park. There were just a lot of great people out there. Um, was able to uh, not only uh, enjoy a lot of the different activities, but uh, was actually able to go into the um, Parkway uh, Center and uh, played a little uh, indoor soccer and got a goal. So I was pretty excited about that. Um, was also able to attend the groundbreaking of the Chula Vista Elementary School District. Uh, they are starting a, a new transportation center uh, on Maxwell off of Main Street, and it's gonna be excellent place. I think it's perfect place to actually put the, uh, put the facility there um, right in the middle of the city of Chula Vista. Um, and I was really excited to be able to um, see that coming. I think one of the best events, though, was the National Night Out. Uh, 
I think uh, the police have always, or we, we still have our, some of our police here, but uh, I think uh, the chief and uh, the captains have already left the meeting. Uh, but uh, just really appreciated what the, our police had done for the National Night Out. It really was a celebration of community and the police together, and it showed the, really the strength and the trust that our community has with our police. Uh, so it was excellent on that. Uh, I had a couple other items that I was going to uh, talk about, but I did want to bring a uh, one item that we see if we can get referral on this. Uh, as we know, um, uh, met with uh, Todd Gloria yesterday uh, in a homeless uh, mayor city meeting. I also uh, have been working with uh, Stephen Whitburn, and one of the items that they've um, been successful at bringing forward uh, to at the city council and getting approval for is the encampment ordinance. I know that I'm already getting uh, feedback from a lot of folks uh, in the city of Chula Vista because people are coming down uh, away from San Diego because of that uh, enactment. Uh, but I do would like to make a referral to the city manager uh, that we look at the San Diego's encampment ordinance and see what we can do to improve um, here in the city of Chula Vista um, to make sure that we're protecting our citizens. And do I have consensus? I've got some, it looks like we have full consensus on that. Can I ask a clarifying question? Sure. Um, are you requesting for us to look, look at the adoption of the ordinance or to look at what is happening there so that we can understand it and then make a... I'm, I'm looking at sort of the adoption. What have, what is, what have they uh, potentially uh, written down, approved, and then have our staff go go forward, seeing what potentially we might want to implement in the city of Chula Vista. So, not that I want to add. I'm sorry. Can I? Sorry, not that I want to add to my workload, but I think we also need to look at the motel ordinance that El Cajon has approved because I think we're being impacted by that as well. So I think, I think an overall review would be helpful. I, w I would include that also. Obviously, I think. Um, not that I'm looking for more work. But. <laughs> so it's a review of the ordinances, not a, the adoption of an ordinance current right now, right? Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure that I understand what we're. Yeah, it's the review of it, and okay. and then uh, potentially looking at at things that might work for the city of San Diego. You know, uh, one one size does not fit all, uh, and I want to make sure that uh, we are we have been very innovative um actually i was um very impressed um we got a lot of um kudos at the uh mayor's meeting uh because our staff has done such a great job in trying to find innovative homeless solutions and i think what we need to do is continue to move forward and look at how we can uh, do things better and uh, we always can improve and i think that uh the city manager with looking at the San Diego's ordinance on encampments and then also El Cajon's uh, ordinance on the motels is, is something would be a, a viable thing uh, for helping us move our homeless programs forward. Okay, looks like we still have consensus. So thank you very much. Um, I will now move this. I'm gonna move this over to Council Member Chavez because she has an action item. Yes. And I feel so bad for <laughs> Pat Malin <laughs> sitting in the back for this whole meeting. 
Um, and yes, we want to, it's the ratification of appointment to the following commission. Uh, Health and Wellness and Aging Commission, we want to uh, appoint Pat Malin from District 1. Um, she has been a hard worker, knows the community, lives in the city, lives in, in my district. And we had a chat, a, an extensive chat, and, and she understands much more than I, that I could ever imagine uh, regarding these important issues. So we are very honored that you chose First of all, to stick around today, <laughs> that itself. I'm sorry we picked this meeting for you. Um, but second of all, I appreciate your, your, your dedication and stepping up with all your knowledge and everything you bring with you. I don't know what's the process. Um, just go ahead. Uh, you can either make a motion yourself, which I think would be appropriate, and then we'll get a second and then vote. I would like to make a motion to ratify uh, Ms. Pat Malin to the Health and Wellness and Aging Commission. I'll second, second that. Okay. We have a second by Member Cardenas. I beat you to it. Uh, Madam Clerk, if uh, you could bring up the vote. Uh, please vote. And you are approved unanimously. Congratulations. And you're welcome to go home now, too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Great. Uh, and if you have any more comments, uh, Member Chavez. Should I just start with my council member comments? Yeah, you're on council member comments. Okay, perfect. I'm going to be very brief because we still have a few issues to talk about. Um, I recently had the opportunity to participate in uh, the MTS board meeting, and I'd like to provide an important update for the Chula Vista residents. Alan. <laughs> um, MTS is diligently transitioning its bus fleet to zero emission ve vehicles. Excitingly, the South Bay will pioneer this change within the MTS service area uh, with a state-of-the-art 24-bus overhead electric charging facility already under construction here in Chula Vista. This initiative not only promotes clean air, clean air but also ensures that the continuation of MTS is dependable bus services. The vision is to expand the capacity of the Chula Vista facility to accommodate 240 battery electric buses in the future. I also had the pleasure to attend National Night Out. A big shout out to our uh, <laughs> public safety officers that are here with us. They're sticking since 3 p.m. with us. Um, really appreciate you. Appreciate your time and your service. And it, it was just an important night out to really, uh, as I mentioned, I, I, I had a chance to talk to Univision on this subject, and they were asking me what it was. And I'm like, well, it's basically for the community to come up and see firsthand how public safety, how firefighter, I actually got, you know, uh, I was promised, um, a tour, a CSI lab tour from Captain Miriam Fox, because they were fingerprinting me. And, and, and I asked her, what, what is this for? In case you disappear, well, uh, I, what a great initiative. But again, not the best thing to be thinking about, right? But it, it's just, it was just a wholesome family event. If you haven't gone, please join us. You need to get together uh, as a family and join and just, you know, 
sometimes it's a, it's a taboo uh, to ask questions, to get near law enforcement. And, you know, just little kids dressed as firefighters and police officers really warms my heart because that's the future. That's our future public safety and firefighters and MTs that are, we're seeing there. So just a wholesome event. I was really appreciative uh, to Captain, uh, to Chief Kennedy and all, everyone there just for taking the time. I had a chance to also go visit the 24-hour area, uh, area, 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 a cleaner's location in East Lake Village uh, Marketplace because unfortunately I couldn't make it to the ribbon cutting because I was covering for the mayor and the San Diego Community Power on behalf of our city that day. But <laughs> what an impressive, impressive, over 25 years they have operated in Chula Vista and I was blown away who doesn't hate it when the dry cleaners close on you. That's one of my pet peeves. <laughs> and this is a 24-hour automated service. It's incredible, it's a great price, and just good quality service. I was really impressed by them. And uh, last but not least, um, I got to join uh, Parks and Rec Day. I wanted to extend a huge thank you to the Parks and Rec staff for their outstanding Parks and Rec Day event. From arts and crafts, swim, CPR lessons, inflatable archery to robots, uh, they had it all. They truly had it all. It was uh, quite an event. Your commitment to our staff, kudos to bring fun, ed uh, education, community, and safety all into one event is really appreciated. And I just kept it brief because we have a lot to cover. Thank you. Thank Member you. Gonzalez. <clears throat> I'm simply going to thank... My um, staff, two staff members in my office, Charitas Terriquez and Frank Mercado, uh, they help keep me engaged or the face of my office and further my efforts in the community. Um, and they also share uh, speaking points about things that we've accomplished in the past couple of weeks that I should mention during council member reports. However, it's past 10 p.m., so I'm making executive decision to forego those at this time and share them with you at a later date at a meeting that ends earlier. Thank you. Thank you. Member Preciado. So uh, a couple of things. I do want to thank uh, the city manager and her team. Um, it, it is important for me to acknowledge that the list that I show up with at our, <laughs> at our Monday meetings gets longer and longer and longer. And, um, and I really appreciate the high level of, of engagement and professionalism with which um, items are discussed with me and items are, are clarified. I am hoping that in the near future we can have uh, a dashboard for, the, um, uh, for our uh, many activities related to homeless services. And um, hopefully we will meet both uh, the city council members' need, informational needs and those of the public. The second item I wanted to do is uh, commend the mayor for his continued engagement with this and the operation of this meeting. I think the decorum continues to improve. And uh, I look forward to the day when uh, we will be able to spend time focused on policies and um, focused on the business of the city and I do appreciate um, your efforts to um, try to try to manage us uh, well. Uh, the third, Thank you. the third item that uh, that I will mention is um, I, I do want to announce that uh, I continue to be employed at San Diego State University, and that I am not able to attend activities that are scheduled um, before five o'clock 
Um, I can do so um, with a lot of notice and for unique reasons, but I am hoping that more activities, more council meetings and more everything is scheduled um, when somebody like myself who's a part-time council member can continue to enjoy my job and, um, and participate in my job and then also come and serve my community. And with that, um, I will, I'm gonna see if the mayor will support me on this. I think the Third Avenue uh, community, business community and resident community is seeking some additional help. And I'm interested in seeing if the mayor and I can be um, put on a committee together um, and that this item potentially be brought to a future meeting so that the mayor and I have the opportunity to work together to focus on the issues impacting Third Avenue. I'm particularly referring to the village um, or the downtown and see if we can work together to address some of the challenges and concerns that continue to plague us. Um, I've mentioned to the city manager that it's three blocks of our city, uh, of our 54 square mile city, but they do attract a lot of attention. So I look forward if you agree and we can get consensus to put on the agenda for the next meeting, forming a subcommittee so we can work together on those issues. I, I would look forward to working with you. Yes, consensus. I think we have consensus. Thank you, Member Preciado. Member Cardenas. I'm so sorry to do this, but I actually have a few referrals that I'm gonna have to make. Um, I know it's been a long night, so I'll try to make it quick. Um, two of them. Uh, the first one is tomorrow, um, the State Assembly will be seeing um, AB 399, um, which is rela related to the San Diego County Water Authority Act. Um, in summary, uh, the San Diego County Local Agency Commission, or LAFCO, approved a proposal from the Fallbrook and Rainbow Water Districts, allowing them to de detach from the San Diego County Water Authority, um, which is essentially leaving the rest of the county's water taxpayers, um, including those here in Chula Vista, uh, to have to pay a larger amount for their water uh, than other agencies. And so um, I would like for us to send uh, a letter of support uh, to uh, Assemblymember Borner, Hor or not Horvath anymore, just Borner, um, to that Chula Vista is supportive of her efforts to pass this bill in the Assembly if I get consensus from the Council for our City Manager to be able to do that. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate your um, thoughts on that. I, I, whether you're for or against the uh, Fallbrook uh, and Rainbow moving away from uh, the water or the uh, uh, San Diego Water Authority. Um, I think the issue here is that essentially, and we want to bring this back for a vote, um, is that essentially anytime you want to do something, it would be a county vote. And I think we always want to have local control. And so I, w I would be opposed to uh, 399 and when I was um, a alternate, we had a very close vote on the uh, whether the detachment of Rainbow and the detachment of Fallbrook happened. It was a very close vote, but it was a very uh, 
large vote in favor of opposing 399 because even the people who uh, opposed the detachment were not uh, supportive of the 399. So that's that's my, but again, everybody else can sure. support um, it or not. Can, if I can just ask the city manager for us to be able to draft a letter of support as the city uh, to be sent, would we just require council consensus on this item? Okay. So I would still seek council consensus on it. I, I support writing the letter. I, I am distressed that two small high-income communities have been able to basically weasel their way out of the responsibility of being part of the region. And um, I'm hoping for the county water authority's purpose um, that um, this legislation is sustained so that we're not impacted by a little district with a population of less than 70,000 people. Um, the city of Chula Vista through Otay Water, um, our Otay Water customers will see an increase in their bills of $1.3 million. And that is a, a number that has been, that resulted by a number of economic studies. And I don't think it's fair that two small communities with, with um, very um, affluent communities of agricultural interests are able to impose um, their desires on the rest of us. So I, I am supportive. Um, that is um, something that I'm hoping the city of Chula Vista can send out. I don't know what the rest of the process is, but I'm supportive. Thank you. Madam City Attorney. I don't know if we've con, uh, completed our consensus ta or census taking or not. We've heard two in support. Yeah, member Chavez. Yeah, in support. Member Gonzalez. Is, is unfamiliarity with an item a reason to abstain? <laughs> I think so. This isn't a formal vote, so you don't need to register any abstention. Sounds like we've got a consensus of three already. Okay, go ahead. Member Cardenas. Um, so, uh, and the second and, and I guess a little bit larger item that I would like to refer to our staff um, is in relation to some of the comments that we heard today during public comment um, on be from our healthcare workers. And I, I just want to take a minute to, to speak on that. Um, as some of you may or may not know, um, about 15 years ago, uh, my father lost both of his kidneys and that resulted in 12 years of constant medical visits, dialysis three times a week, and I, both my mother and I being basically providers for my dad. Um, I saw through that time the firsthand uh, workload and struggles that our healthcare workers go through, and specifically those that are working at dialysis clinics and, and the people that are receiving care there, um, they're really, it's, they're really stretched very thin, and I can, I can say that um, it does affect the quality of life of not just the patients, but, but their life, but their families and the people in their lives. And part of the reason why I ran for office um, was because an issue like this is something that gets to the heart of all of the issues that we really try to tackle here on the council um, and that we face on a regular basis. Um, bottom line is just the ability for us to make a living and provide for our uh, loved ones. Uh, our Workers have been facing an unprecedented rise in the cost of living. Uh, I'm not just talking about the recent spike in inflation, but it's an issue that has been ongoing 
And uh, we really are at a point where we need to take immediate action. Um, we're seeing all of these people that have been heavily impacted through the pandemic, uh, some of them losing friends, their lives, um, to be able to provide care for, for our families. Um, these are our essential workers and um, you know, we always talk about how important it is to protect our, our families and, and whatnot and how important essential workers is. And I think it's just important for us to show it and actually make policy that, uh, that reflects those values. Um, I think we've all experienced all of what those last few years have, the impacts that they've had in our lives. And I think it's important that we, we really take care of the people that have been taking care of us. And so um, I know that they've met, they mentioned a, a few things in their comments. Um, and and I, you know, I'm aware that uh, other jurisdictions and the state are, 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 are all considering um, enacting legislations that are uh, going to be uh, an ordinance uh, addressing the minimum wage of healthcare workers. And so I'm asking for consensus from uh, this council uh, for a referral to staff to research and bring back uh, a healthcare workers minimum wage ordinance for this council to consider um, also in our very, very fun September 12th meeting. Great. Uh, Member Cardenas obviously is in favor of that. Member uh, Preciado. I'm concerned about the timing, but I am supportive. So I, I would actually, um, I believe that they're gonna be a proposition in the state of California. And I, I've seen it too many times where we have a proposition, the state or the city does all this work to pass something uh, similar and then the proposition passes and everything. In addition, I'm very concerned, uh, you know, there was sort of this idea that, that uh, these hospitals and organizations were making a profit and they can't make a profit because they're all nonprofits, uh, Sharp, uh, scripts, um, they they essentially are not there at a, at a profit motive. Um, so I'm very concerned about that. So right now I, I would uh, not support, support the um, referral. Member Chavez? I'm gonna support the referral just because, you know, I'm, I've been in the healthcare field for around, I don't know, since 2014. And I know how much of a human personnel, um, just we have a shortage in personnel in general in all fields. And literally just fighting to keep the good individuals in the city, I think is worth uh, bringing it back and considering um, just weighing it out and, and, and thinking how these factors play into our day-to-day -day health. And we only think about our health or we only think about hospitals or we only think about our health care when we're in dire need of it or when we're in the middle of a pandemic and it becomes a primary um, issue for us. But that's why I'm in favor to bring it back and I will be voting yes. And I- Gonzalez. Yes, thank you. And Unless I hear the city manager kicking and screaming about the <laughs> the reality of the timeliness of it, I would very much be interested in hearing this item come forward in September, if at all feasible. 
So, and ironically, uh, member Couch Dorian, uh, or uh, city manager Couch yeah, Dorian, so, asked to speak. <laughs> I just want to make, I mean, we will obviously try to achieve the direction that you're putting out in front of us, but I just want to make sure I know what we're being asked to bring forward. Is it a discussion around what this means, or you're actually expecting the ordinance? An ordinance. You actually want the ordinance. Mm -hmm. Is there another agency, because I want to cheat, is there another agency out there that has actually brought this forward yes, because I again believe, with limited I'll, time that I'm yeah, being given with PLA and everything very, else. Very, very fair. Thank um, you. I, I believe Los Angeles, Los Angeles just recently passed an ordinance. I can't speak anymore at this time. They recently passed an ordinance, um, but I, you know, I want to address uh, something that the mayor brought up, which is that there's an initiative. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't believe it's on the ballot yet, so it's something that it, it's not, it's a non-issue. And also, I, I, I think that just, um, I don't know that we have, we shouldn't have to wait uh, for an election in order for us to be addressing these issues. Um, so I know that there is that initiative that can also maybe work on creating uh, the drafting and whatnot, but um, I can also find more information and yeah. send it over. Uh, that would be helpful. Uh, but my commitment to the council would be, we obviously okay. understand the PLA right. and the, is a priority. So we're gonna focus on getting that done. And then if we can, then we'll bring this one forward. If not, we'll bring it to the second meeting in September. Sure. Okay. Uh, if if not, I'm again, I mentioned this earlier, I know that the meeting is very impacted. I would be happy um, to have a special meeting uh, in September for us to be able to address these issues. And I also think it's just important for us to have time to have these conversations and we are impacting our meetings heavily regularly and so if it means that we need to have a special meeting i'm comfortable with that i i don't want to put any of my colleagues out but um I, it's important to have these conversations with enough time for us to digest it so um i i appreciate that very um, much. i also don't want to ignore the fact that we have a city attorney who's very short staffed so everything we're, we're talking about here actually has to go through the city sure. attorney's office as well so of course we'll coordinate our efforts um possibly look at outside council assistance in some of this because i know <laughs> I appreciate that. that thank you okay. we are as you all know very impacted we're doing our best and we'll continue to do so um so if we can have some leeway as Maria requested, that would be helpful. Thank you. Thank you. And that concludes my council comments because that was a lot already. <laughs> Great, thank you very much. Um, what I'll do now is uh, hand it over to the city attorney. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have a closed session tonight. One of the items listed on the agenda will not be heard. That's 13.1B. But we will go into closed session to discuss a, a matter of existing litigation, which is the case of uh, Limon versus City of Chula Vista, as further defined on the agenda. Okay, and I will then adjourn the meeting um, at, after uh, closed session uh, to our next City Council meeting on September 12th at 5 p.m. here at the City Hall. Thank you. Good meeting, Mayor. Thank you.